Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. Today I've got Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy with me here. Fun show planned this afternoon as we'll have a couple of special guests coming at Coming up at 3.30, Matt Grecky will join us. He is the general manager of Nashville Super Speedway. He'll talk about the upcoming race race at Nashville as NASCAR gets back on it for the second half of their season. And in the NASCAR world at 5.15 today, we're going to have NASCAR Cup Series driver Ryan Priest with us, driver of the number 41 Ford Mustang for Stuart Haas Racing. He will join us at 5.15. So a couple of NASCAR World guests today that we're very excited about on this Tuesday edition of Sports Call. As always, we'll have more thoughts uh, on college football world as we continue to talk a little bit more about Auburn football recruiting news. Uh, still no commits since last week, but kind of give you an update of, of some of those items. And, uh, again, more in the sports world here throughout the day. Ryan, Brooks, and Tom with you here on this Tuesday. We'll start with Brooks. Brooks, how are you doing, brother? I am great. Had a great weekend this past weekend. Um, it, it was it was relaxing. Didn't do a lot of stuff. Uh, worked around the house a little bit trying to get the – Trying to get the uh, you know apartment put together still two months after the marriage, but you know we're, we're still trying to get things things done. So relaxing weekend, got some stuff done. Um, took part in a food truck Friday last Friday at downtown Opelika. Great stuff. Uh, shout out to what was the the one I had the Boar's Breath uh, was really good. They had a good Koneka sausage dog. Uh, and uh, some great mac and cheese. So if you see that food truck around, uh, not a sponsor, but gosh, they, it was good enough to deserve a shout out. Uh, but yeah, it was so, such a fun, some fun weekend, a fun weekend of sports, and continues to go on. Uh, we got the College World Series still going on, so can't wait to uh, to dive into some of that. Although the underdogs that a lot of people are rooting for, Oral Roberts down six uh, zero to TCU right now in the fifth inning. So hopefully they can, you know, get a comeback and make this game uh, interesting like the rest of them has, has been. We're setting up for a big game tonight, an elimination game between two SEC baseball powers with Tennessee and LSU going at it. So can't wait to talk about all that. Braves back in action tonight. Can't wait to talk that. And I really can't wait to get into, uh, a, a, you know, a, a sport that we don't often dive too deep into, but we're going deep today with some NASCAR talk this weekend. Or, yeah, absolutely. Uh, with with the national race coming up, they've they've run sixteen of thirty six races, and uh, we've ex- we're excited to uh, kind of preview that. Of course, Nashville's been a happening place in the sports world as uh, we just had the SEC basketball tournament there a few months ago, and did an interview with that, and and then uh, you got media days coming up, and just around a month from now, so Nashville continues to be a uh, a growing sports place, including. 
uh, with Nashville Super Speedway. Also, Tom Peavy on the show today. Tom, I'm glad your favorite flavor of Mountain Dew is back. How, <laughs> I am a happy how are you man. doing? I, I'm great. I am a happy man. My Baja Blast is back in. And so, uh, and I was also happy to find two other Baja flavors and share those with y'all in our normal uh, Mountain Dew taste test whenever I bring some in. So we were able to do that. Not Wacky Wednesday taste testing disgusting so no. These are actually pretty decent Mountain Dew flavors. So uh, happy for that. But uh, uh, yeah, ready to get into some sports talk. And a great college baseball game last night with, uh, with uh, LSU and Wake Forest. And I was wrong on that one. Uh, I, I was correct in the winner. I said I thought Wake Forest would win it. But I also thought Wake Forest would win by more than a run. I also did not expect that neither team would hit a home run in that game because both of them have just powerful, powerful yeah. offenses. And that one just turned into an, an an epic pitcher battle. So I was correct on the winner, but wrong on how it was going to be done. But a, a great game there and uh, just ready to start talking about it. Excited about our NASCAR conversations as well. Yeah, and look for the, the college baseball, uh, the college World Series this game right now going on between Oral Roberts and TCU would be the first to not be a competitive game. Uh, yeah, all of them, so. yeah, all of them have been three runs or closer, yep. and most of them have been just one run games. So it's been a very competitive uh, trip in Omaha for all these teams. Again, uh, this this result withstanding. But uh, since we will have a guest on at three thirty, let's go ahead and go to our Auburn Bank phone line at three three four. 887-341 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. First up on the show today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you doing today? I am good. I am good in War Eagle. War Eagle. Yes, I know that um, the uh, Plainsman Park is actually getting some renovation uh, in the near future as well. And I'll just have to say, I'll just put two thumbs down on the renovations because um, I was looking at like the uh, videos on how it's going to look with the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, like the Hall of Fame uh, section of Plainsman Park. And I think that they should not do that. I mean, they should not make changes to Plainsman Park because it's a very, uh, it, it has a lot of history to, to the baseball uh, community in Auburn as well. And I think they should just leave that. Uh, renovation, you know, they should just not renovate the, like, extend Plainsman Park out, so they should just leave it like it is. Yeah, James, I think we're, we're going to disagree on that one. I think you've got to update with the times and you look at the other facilities and ballparks in the SEC, and uh, in a lot of ways, they've passed Auburn's by, uh, and, and look, Brooch Thompson has been wanting improvements to Plainsman Park, and a lot of people around the Auburn baseball program. I think a lot of people are excited uh, about these improvements, and they are just that. They are improvements and uh, offer different seating options and different experience options in Plainsman Park. I know a lot of people are going to be very excited about the seats on top of the uh, what they're going to call War Eagle Wall and left field with the, with the big green monster. So uh, I, I personally think a lot of these changes, really all these changes, are, are needed. Uh, and it, I think Butch Thompson and the Auburn baseball program is very excited about them. Yeah, so if they're excited about it, then I'll just have to see how things look a little bit different. But when I look at uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium for um, for a reason, you know, seeing – like actually, actually being inside the stadium, and I've seen like most uh, college football stadiums, they were, you know, really like, you know, they have like, you know, 
a dome over it like some stadiums do, but I think, you know, they should do renovations to Jordan Hare Stadium to actually make it look like, you know, like a, like a football stadium on, on any Saturday in Auburn, you know, because at night, I mean, it looks really amazing to see, you know, to go to Auburn to see a really nice, you know, a nice, uh, game at night because it has like that atmosphere type, you know, feel to it as well. Yeah, well, I, I definitely think it, it qualifies as a good football stadium. I think that they have looked at ways in to, to renovate some things or to improve some things at Jordan-Hare Stadium. They've certainly surveyed the other, other end zone side to see what they could do in the way of either additional seating, different seating, or, or potentially a different scoreboard and that sort of thing. So I think that they, at some point they will do something. Even the big stadiums usually have – uh, small little upgrades done to them, but obviously Jordan Hare Stadium has uh, a great history and has been one of the, the toughest stadiums to play in if you're a road team. So uh, they'll they'll definitely try to improve it when they can, but uh, it is also right now still a, a, a very respected stadium. Yeah, because I know we just added like the recruiting department on campus, which I which I never seen in person, and we just uh, did. They actually did the uh, new field, and I haven't seen that one with the new locker with the new uh, locker room. And I think Auburn in the near future, I see great things coming in the near future for Auburn as well. Absolutely. What else is on your mind today? Well, I'm actually going to be looking at uh, some um, NBA draft uh, prospects and seeing who's going to get drafted on Thursday. And um, I'm looking at. Um, Brandon Miller and seeing if he's going to get drafted. I, I've been hearing Brandon Miller. I've heard all week, all week uh, today, all to, all this week today and last week they were saying uh, that Brandon Miller was going to get drafted, and then they're saying no, he's not going to get drafted. And uh, for me, as an NBA fan, I'm thinking I'm leaning towards no, he's not going to get drafted because of the allegations that are still in place and they are still talking about it and bringing it up and other um, other people in in the NBA uh, front office are at are asking Brandon Miller these questions as well so uh, Brandon Miller will get drafted he's either going to go second or third overall uh, in the draft and uh, there's a lot of speculation on which one Charlotte will prefer. I think that more teams than not prefer Scoot Henderson, uh, but but there is a better a bigger need there for Charlotte to go with a wing than there is a guard since they already have LaMelo Ball. And we'll get into that a little bit later in the week if you should be drafting who you deem to be the best player versus filling the biggest need. But Brandon Miller is definitely going to get drafted, and it's going to be very quickly. It's going to be, uh, I, I think... I saw one or two mocks put him fourth, but but I, I can't imagine he goes lower than three. I think he's going to go second or third. Yeah, so if he's like on Thursday, if he goes second round or third or third round, um, that's going to be kind of out there. So I don't know if any teams might you know make a steal or make a trade. I'm not quite sure how that works in the NBA. So this is my first time ever watching the NBA draft. I know they. Uh, done it in uh, the NFL, but I don't know how uh, the NBA draft, uh, you know, how they're going to trade 
a great player in Brandon Miller. And I'm actually looking in my mock draft and seeing uh, some players from Auburn as well. So I don't see any any players from Auburn in the uh, 2023 NBA draft as well. Yeah, no one from Auburn is is projected to get picked. I know Wendell Green Jr. had some workouts, but uh, that that he is very unlikely to get picked. Uh, Miller, uh, back on him, he he's going to go second or third overall. He he's going to go in the first round. There's only two rounds in the in the NBA draft, so he's going to go second or third overall. What else is on your mind today? Well, I'm actually going to be looking at the Major League Baseball draft and seeing if uh, some. Uh, Auburn players are going to be getting drafted for the Major League Baseball teams as well and uh, seeing if Atlanta needs help or Tampa Bay or Texas Rangers or the Houston Astros. Uh, the Houston Astros might need a little bit of help in their prospect to actually make that team another uh, World Series uh, championship team as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Auburn guys – either present or, or, or future get drafted because of obviously high school guys can get drafted and I don't know everyone's draft stock right now but I'm sure a few guys will get that call at some point the major league baseball draft is still incredibly long it's not as long as it used to be I think it's down to 20 rounds and it used to be I don't know 40 or 50 so it's still very long but it's not quite as big as it used to be but there'll still be some Auburn guys uh, drafted absolutely Yes, I saw. And then with the uh, Major League uh, All-Star game coming up in a couple of weeks from now, I know they just added like a new uh, thing to their to their schedule this year. They're actually going to be uh, playing, uh, I think, Boston and Chicago. They're going to be playing in the London uh, series as well. So that's going to be my first time ever seeing uh, a beautiful country like London, England hosting uh, a baseball game out there in London as well. Yeah, I think uh, what was it? The Yankees and Red Sox played out there. I think the the Cardinals and Cubs went a couple out there years too. Ago, and then maybe Cardinals and Cubs last year. So they they've started doing this. You know, one series a year, uh, basically. So uh, the the ball had been flying over there. There had been a lot of home runs hit. So I think they actually moved the walls back a few feet to try and make it a little fairer to pitchers. Yes, as well, because I know with a lot of different changes to Major League Baseball, um, I mean, they were talking like during the offseason, they were talking about the, the pitching clock, and I've actually seen that over the weekend, over Father's Day weekend in Montgomery, and I think that they should just change it from, you know, change it from the pitching clock from this year to where they used to have it like they had it before, before the uh, pitching clock uh, came out as well. So you don't you don't like the pitching clock then? No, I do not because it, it takes away a long time to actually try to figure out uh, what what will be the next pitch as well, and it takes up a lot of um, baseball fans' time and you know seeing you know getting to know what they're going to pitch, like what they're going to throw the next pitch, and it, it takes a long time to decide on whether you're going to do a fastball, curveball, sinker, slider, and it takes a lot of time for, for people like myself to actually understand the game as well. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I mean, they have – it has uh, decreased game times by about, by about 20 or 25 minutes, which was a goal of, of Major League Baseball with the sport kind of getting longer and longer games over the years. And 
pitchers have adapted pretty well. There's not been too many pitch clock violations. I think the league leader in pitch clock violations has like seven on the year, and we're about halfway through, so it's a fair number. But, again, that's that's the absolute most someone has had. So I think overall Major League Baseball is pretty happy with, with the rule change, but I know that there are some people that certainly initially did not like it. Yes, that's well. And then I know that you all have some special guests that are going to be talking about the uh, NASCAR uh, series that's going to be coming up this weekend. And I know that you all are going to have a really good guest. Uh, one of my favorite uh, drivers I'm actually going to be putting on my uh, NASCAR uh, fantasy lit, uh, list. Um, what is that driver's name, by the way? Yeah, Ryan Priest. Yeah, so I would um, put Ryan in my uh, fantasy in my NASCAR fantasy uh, lineup this weekend, and I'm hoping he'll win uh, a lot of fantasy points for me as well. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good plan, I, I think. And uh, we, we had a good conversation with Ryan, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to that for that airing. Uh, did you say you wanted uh, – what kind of trivia did you want today? Um, NBA uh, draft trivia. Okay, NBA draft trivia. Uh, let's go with – Let's go with this. Who has the number one pick in this year's NBA draft? Um, the number one overall pick in the NBA draft this year, that would be, they just said it um, yesterday and today. They were talking about this one today. I think it is uh, Wimbenyana, if yep. I'm thinking yeah, that, right. That's that's probably going to be the first pick. I was just asking which team has the number one pick in the draft. Uh, the number one overall pick in the NBA draft for 2023 will be the San Antonio Spurs. Excellent. That is that is 100 correct. Nice job. Let's uh, let's go from let's go to last year's draft. Do you recall who who? So this is not a team. This is a player. Who was the number one overall pick in last year's draft? Last year's draft, I think that would be that would be no other than Jabari Smith. Very close. He was picked very highly. I think he went third to Houston, but uh, not quite. Who? So Orlando had that number one pick. Um, that would be no other than Auburn basketball player Ozana Okiki. Yeah, not Chuma Okiki. That uh, he was picked. Uh, several years ago and not number one overall uh so this guy this guy went to duke if that helps you okay i know this guy he um i actually had him uh last year in my march madness um you know in my march madness uh draft pick as well because uh, i did i always did the march madness uh, uh college basketball picks as well and um, I'll have to actually have a hint on this one. Uh, well, again, he was on Duke. I, I don't know. Uh, I think he did win Rookie of the Year this year in the NBA. I think that's the last hint I could give you. He did win Rookie of the Year this year. Um, let me see, Duke, because I know this is JJ's favorite team. It is. He's always, he's always talking about Duke, and I really don't want to disappoint my best friend as well. Well, he he um, he won't be too disappointed if you end up getting it wrong. It'll be okay. Um, I would actually have to say, mm, I'll just probably take a good shot at this. I'll just say, 
I'm out of Duke players as well. That's okay. It's Paolo Bancaro. That's who uh, was selected first overall and one rookie of the year this year. All right, final one. Uh, We're going to go back in time a little bit. In the 2009 NBA draft, what selection was Stephen Curry? Uh, 2009, I think I remember this one. And I think Stephen Curry was picked, mm, I think he he was picked like eight or nine. Probably I'll go with nine. You're very close. Go back on the other side of eight. I'll probably say the seventh pick overall. Yes, sir. You got it right. Steph was the number seven overall pick in the 2009 draft. Nice job, James. All right. Sounds good, and uh, talk to y'all guys on Wednesday tomorrow. Sounds good, James War Eagle. All right, War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line right there. Good stuff from James. As always, just a couple minutes left before we take our first break of the show. Again, coming up. At 3.30 today, Matt Grecki will join us. He is the general manager of Nashville Super Speedway. And we'll talk about Nashville with him. And, guys, I know we've not talked much NASCAR on the show. We're through 16 races this year. Uh, So we got 10 races to go to the playoffs. Second year of the new car, which we talked a little bit about last year. And, you know, I – NASCAR has done some interesting things the last couple of years. They had the exhibition race at LA Coliseum the last two years. They had the all-star race at North Wilkesboro this year, which I think was a success. Maybe not for the actual racing part of it, but the excitement level. And it feels like there is still kind of an issue with how the car races at these traditionally fun tracks, these short tracks, some of these road courses. Um, But through 16 races, it's been a weird year. There have been suspensions. There have been big-time points reductions because points penalties. So it's been kind of odd from that perspective. You had the Chase Elliott injury in week two that kept them out a few races, which is not an every-year occurrence where someone gets injured. And then it happened again with Hendrick Motorsports with Alex Bowman getting his back messed up and and missing a couple of races. So uh, it's been kind of a dramatic year from that standpoint. We've seen some really good performances. The Hendrick guys continue to be really good, and and we know that there's not as many different winners this year as there was last year. I remember we had Fox Sports' Bob Pachris on last year. We we asked him if uh, there were going to be more than 16 different winners in the regular season. That is not really a topic this year. Uh, so, guys, any thoughts before we go to break on on the NASCAR season and anything you've observed or anything you want to see here in the second half? Uh, I mean, it, it's been a it's been a fun weekend or a weekend. I, it's been a fun series. It's been a fun season for for the drivers. Uh, you know, it, it's it's been interesting because I, I think you know, like you said, NASCAR, and, and it's been me- recent years. But, you know, it's really emphasized this year that they're doing more fun things with the schedule. You, you went back to Wilkesboro for the All-Star Race. You're bringing in the Chicago Street Race this year, coming up in a couple weeks. Um, and I, I think it's, it's a you know, maybe the racing uh, product is not as, you know, as crisp and as, as fun as it has been in the past, you know, few years or past years. 
but it's bringing excitement back a little bit where people are excited to watch some of these races. If, if you said, hey, we're going to the all-star race at Kansas, you're like, oh, cool, whatever. Or if you're, you know, you say, hey, we're adding another Watkins Glen race to the schedule. You're like, all right, fine, that's a fun twist, but still we've seen the track before. Street, Chicago Street Race in a few weeks, not a track that you've ever, anybody's ever seen. It's, it's going to be a custom-built uh, into the streets of Chicago. Uh, and then North Wilkesboro, people, you know, there, there's a, there's an, you know, you, you look on social media, you look on uh, people who are really into NASCAR history, they bring up, you know, all the old, the, the old tracks that you don't go to anymore. And I think there's a, a want and the, for people to, to go for, for the, the series to go back and help revitalize some of these tracks. I know Wilkesboro was one that had been on a lot of people's radar. I know some people talk about Rockingham every once in a while. Um, and it's just, it, you get, you know, you get places back on the, on the schedule that you haven't been. Nashville, uh, was one of them that you, the people wanted to revitalize, uh, and you've gotten it back on the schedule here. It, it's a different track than what they used to race at. Uh, they, they used to be at the fairgrounds, but it was, it, it's a, it's such a fun, it, it's a fun, uh, these are, they're, the, the, what they're doing with the schedule is it, it's drawing more interest. And especially when you're competing, you know, in, in, the in the u.s at least you've seen a rise and people are really in, intrigued in f1 because of the the netflix series um and so you're you're starting to compete against f1 well you've got a window on sunday afternoons especially in the summer that there's no football and f1 if they're racing that weekend they're done by 10 a.m and so you've got the afternoon window that you can try to do some fun things with your schedule and get people back to um get people to, to tune back into NASCAR and it seems like it's working. It seems like they've, they've picked up some traction here in the, in the last uh, couple of years. Yeah. Some of that has kind of eluded them at times this year. I feel like there's been kind of a correlation when Chase Elliott doesn't race, the ratings have not been quite as good. And it's, I want to see these next few races uh, because he's missed of the 16 races. He's missed, I think four, maybe five of them. So he's missed a chunk of it. And I want to see if he can get in the winner's circle or get into the playoffs, what that does. Because it seems like the races he's participated in have been pretty much the same ratings-wise as last year, which was an improvement. But the races he's not raced in uh, have not done as well. And to, com- to, to talk about that, too, with ratings, is anytime you have a Monday race, that really kills it. And they've had a couple rainouts this year. That happens. That's always going to happen. You're not going to go 36 straight perfect weekends. But those also can hurt things too. So I, I definitely saw that positive momentum last year, and I'm hoping to see more of it. But right now it's just kind of kind of teetering a little bit, kind of hovering. And, again, hopefully it continues to grow. Hopefully there's continuing to be great crowds. I know some of the crowds at the tracks have been – uh, good this year for sure. We're going to take our first time out of the show. When we come back, again, the general manager of National Super Speedway, Matt Grecky, will join us. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. to 
Join our conversation. Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Follow SportsCall on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Like us on Facebook at SportsCallAU. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with me here on this Tuesday. We're now pleased to go back to the Auburn Bank phone line, and we welcome on the Vice President and General Manager of Nashville Super Speedway, Matt Greeky, kind, of kind enough to take some of his time of this busy day and busy week uh, for us on the show today. Matt, the time is greatly appreciated. How are things in your world? Things are great uh, here in Middle Tennessee. We are ramping up for a big, big weekend here at Nashville Super Speedway for our third annual uh, NASCAR Triple Header Weekend, and uh, we can't wait to host all these great fans and industry coming into the Nashville area. But thanks for having us. Absolutely, and there's a lot to get into. I want to talk uh, a little bit first about uh, kind of a revival of sorts for the, the Speedway, for, for Nashville, and and obviously, we, we've seen NASCAR do some different things with its schedule the last few years. And one of those things was getting Nashville Super Speedway on the schedule, not only back with the Xfinity Series and Truck Series, but also at the cup level after after being shut down for a little while. Uh, how proud of you? I know you came over to the Speedway a couple of years ago and, and took on this new role last year. But just how proud of you are? Uh, how proud are you that, that Nashville is now a part of the cup schedule and, and gets to kind of kick off the second half of the season uh, we couldn't be more proud uh part of speedway motorsports and, and what we do with the industry and welcoming nascar premier series back to the national market which is so deep in the nascar auto racing history but for it to come back in a big way in 2021 and for us to go into our our third inch here there's a lot of momentum uh we are uh we're ready for a packed house on friday saturday sunday and kicking off the second half of the NASCAR season with NBC going into primetime on Sunday night for the Ally 400, we couldn't be more jacked up and, and ready to go. I, if you could just kind of, to our listeners, just kind of describe that track a little bit and, and what the drivers can expect and what fans can expect to see uh, there in Nashville. Yeah, we, we're a little bit more unique than a lot of the, the circuits on the uh, the schedule. We're a mile and a third concrete surface, which is the largest uh, concrete surface that they race on. And with that, creates a little bit more challenges as far as less data that they race on. Most of their surfaces are asphalt. Um, but it'll be really indicative of how they perform on Sunday evening with the temperatures and how things go when we're 6 o'clock local start time. It'll be, it'll be sunny on the racetrack, um, but shaded in the grandstands. But as they go through the night and the lights turn on, the temperatures will cool off. And they'll, they'll be adjusting to the race cars and what that does. And it'll create really good storylines on NBC, but also live in venue. And uh, it's going to be an exciting evening. Matt, uh, aside from the racing, what all do you have? Uh, you guys have going on at the racetrack this weekend? You know, fan experiences, uh, in, you know, entertainment. What, what's going on up there this weekend? We've got a lot going on, uh, much like Nashville does. We're, we're bringing Nashville down to Lebanon, Tennessee, here at Nashville Super Speedway. Bring a lot of entertainment. Um, Old Dominion is our grand marshal for the pre for to give the command on Sunday for the Ally 400. Uh, Park McCollum will be our pre-race concert. He'll be singing all his live hits in person prior to the Ally 400. 
and award-winning comedian um, Nate Bargatze is leading the field to the green flag, driving the Ford Mustang. And that's only scratching the surface. Our fan zone, which is open to all ticket holders free to get to, um, we've got music, we've got driver appearances, we've got Q&As, driver merchandise, family entertainment, all before the gates open and free for all our customers to get to. Um, that'll be happening, be open every day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, we can't wait to host a lot of more VIPs. NFL stars want to come out, other celebrities, musicians. Uh, we're leaning heavily into what Nashville is as an entertainment destination. You know, kind of looking at NASCAR as a whole, you know, most people think of NASCAR as kind of that southeastern type sport, even though there are races in other other places. But, you know, obviously over in East Tennessee, you've got Bristol Motor Speedway, everybody knows about. But, I mean, how excited do you think the fans are to, to get there to Nashville to watch this race? And, I mean, you are really close into that hub of where NASCAR is so popular. Well, Nashville is just a tremendous market as far as it becomes from a, a travel standpoint. It's easy to get to um, in and out from major metros across the country. But for indicative of what our, our ticket sales are on Sunday, we've got limited tickets, nationalsuperspeedway.com to get those. Um, but that's, that's an indicator of how excited the industry is to get here. Um, that we are we are inching towards a really packed house on Sunday. If anybody's interested, we do still so they'll have limited tickets available. Um, but please visit us and also one eight six six race ticks to uh, see what options we've got for you. We're talking to the senior vice president and general manager of Nashville Super Speedway, Matt Greeky, today on Sports Call. And, and Matt, we've we've had conversations in the past with folks from Nashville uh, that, that Nashville has just it's, – it's obviously grown so much as a city but also as a sports community. And uh, we, we just saw the SEC basketball tournament up in Nashville a few months ago. We see we're, we're, we, all of us here at Sports Call are going to be up there in a month uh, for SEC media days. What is it about the Nashville area that has just uh, been so – so receptive to such a, a growth in the sports industry? I think it's just it's attractive from a lifestyle standpoint to come in, um, have so many things to do outside of what your, your desire is to get here. You know, the NHL draft is in town next week as well, and all the major sports are, are leaning into what Nashville brings, even just from a, a local standpoint. But it brings it attracts folks from all over the country and all over the world to come here for an event, but experience Nashville for what it is with music, entertainment, and uh, a great food and restaurant scene as well. And Matt, obviously you, you've had a, a journey. You were working at Charlotte Motor Speedway for a long time now uh, at Nashville. What has your journey been like to this role, and uh, just how gratifying is it to see again uh, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, this this Cup Series come come to Nashville for uh, for the first time in a while these last few years, and, and just what you're hoping to accomplish as you continue on with your role at Nashville. Yeah, I appreciate all my time at Charlotte Motor Speedway and Speedway Motorsports. It's it's really helped me get to this market and see what we can accomplish here at Nashville Super Speedway. We're we're building a great team here, and we're excited for our third annual NASCAR weekend. But also what what Nashville is in this area, what we can do with the community and building more community events and what we can do outside of our NASCAR weekend is what is super attractive, how we can give back to the community, um, diversify our events and, and build a great event portfolio here. 
because Nashville deserves a a market um, you know venue that we can attract other events to here, and that's really exciting for us and our, our growth opportunity is immense. Yep. Uh, Matt, and so you know, here's a question for you: how, how did you get into this industry? Uh, what what got you started in saying that NASCAR is where you wanted to be and and, and make a career out of? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I actually grew up around the sport in the Northeast. Um, Auto racing maybe isn't synonymous with the Northeast, but I kind of a lot of my childhood is great memories from short tracks up in the Northeast. And right. I had the opportunity to join Charlotte Motor Speedway as an intern during my college um, time. And from there, I was I was hired. I spent about 18 years there, uh, working in a lot of different aspects of the venue and, and facility management. And uh, it's been a rewarding career. And, and looking forward to a bright future here at uh, Nashville Super Speedway and what we can accomplish here. And then, Matt, you mentioned uh, some of the, you know, you mentioned having different things at the Speedway throughout the year that's not on the NASCAR weekend. What are some of those big highlights in case, you know, people are traveling? Like, you know, we just mentioned we're going to be up there in in about a month for SEC Media Days. People are coming into town for NFL weekends here in in just a few months. What what other stuff you got going on at the Speedway outside of the NASCAR weekend? Well, we'd love to host you guys when you guys are in town. Come out. We'll give you a ride in the pace car and uh, get you on track and maybe get a little bit close to the wall. But uh, com. we have our event schedule up there. We're going to host a lot more car shows throughout the year, um, more open community events. We have 700-plus acres here, so I think our opportunity to do um, non-motorsports events is, is wide. And as we do that, we've got a lot of things that we're, we're working on to build major events. Um, you know, music space out here from a festival standpoint is, is attractive but also other holiday shows and community events is what we're looking to grow. Uh, well, I, I think all of us uh, just lit up a little bit at the uh, <laughs> potential for uh, going around the track a few times. But, uh, Matt, we'll, we'll finish with this again uh, as we're talking to Matt Greeky, the vice president and general manager of National Super Speedway. Uh, you, you mentioned it right there, too, with the music industry, too. Uh, just how important is it to build a multi-use facility? Because I know we're talking about the NASCAR element, element mainly today, but uh, we've seen so many, uh, whether it be baseball parks or basketball arenas kind of lean into more than just the sports or, or just the one one venue type of, of deal. Just how important has it been to kind of grow the the other other side of things for, for Nashville Super Speedway other than just the, the NASCAR part of it? It's, it's important because what we want to do is, is create a venue that attracts folks from all walks of life and, and creating a diverse lineup of events and using our facility 365 out of the year is important. You know, we've, we've got other events. Obviously NASCAR is, is our bread and butter and, and what we are fully focused on to execute this weekend in a big, big way. But uh, the venue is here and we want to utilize it to its full capabilities all year round. And, uh, you know, nationalsuperspeedway.com, please, please visit it. If anybody has interest of uh, getting here for any other events, please let us know. And I think all your listeners, you guys are, are close to us. Alabama's not a not a far drive away. So if anybody's interested to come see us this weekend, we'd, we'd love to host you guys. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it's absolutely driving distance. I know we'll all be driving up there in, in just a month or so. And, and uh, again, Matt, we really appreciate the time today. We, we hope it's a uh, an incredible turnout, an incredible race on Sunday. And uh, maybe, we'll, again, we'll link up here in uh, July around SEC Media Days. Love to. Yeah, we've got the Action Pack weekend here of truck racing for a Rackley Roofing 200 on Friday night, Tennessee Lottery 250 Xfinity Series race on Saturday, and then 
coming on under the lights in prime time on Sunday night for Ally 400. So uh, we'd love to host anybody and uh, come on out this weekend, Nashville Super Speedway. Thank you, guys. Thank you. That is Matt Greeke, the vice president, senior vice president and general manager of Nashville Super Speedway, joining us today on Sports Call. Appreciate his time uh, very much and uh, look forward to all the races uh, this weekend. As he said, Truck Series, Xfinity Series, and Cup Series yeah. all out there at Nashville this weekend. Yeah, a little bit of everything going on in Nashville. So, yeah, for any of the listeners, you know, if you're a NASCAR fan, it's not that far. You know, head up there. I, I could only imagine – uh, the amount of stuff that they would have going on around that track, being around Nashville and just how passionate folks are about the sports industry around Nashville. And then you bring in all the, the country music scene and everything. I, I just have to imagine it's going to be an exciting atmosphere up there for everything. Yeah, and again, that's it's been such an exploding place. I mean, again, to live, but also uh, that has not been uh, – it has not been shy of growing in the sports industry, too. I mean, you put a, a hockey team there not too long ago, and, and the National Predators are beloved there. You've got the racetrack that is now hosting Cup Series for the first time. We're going up there for SEC Beanie Days. Obviously, the Southeastern Conference has found it very important to make Nashville part of what it does and hosting uh, conference basketball tournaments there and, and that sort of thing. and. And so uh, it is. It has been a, a booming yeah. place. It, but I tell you, it's a booming place. But that's why they is also the big talk of if major league were to expand that Nashville is part of it is yeah. really probably the most likely spot that they would put a a uh, an expansion major league team in. And it's because the support for those teams up there is so great, and they're wanting to expand that more. And you know that goes from football to baseball to the hockey team, and and of course NASCAR. So yeah, big time sports town. We're going to take one final break here in the 3 o'clock hour. Back to wrap up the first hour of Sports Call today right after this. Another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan McGoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday. Again, appreciate Matt Greeke for joining us there. Again, he is the general manager, senior vice president of Nashville Super Speedway. Nashville is a great place to be really any time of year, but a great little summer vacation idea, and certainly with the racing out there. Uh, in Nashville, just a few miles uh, south of uh, the actual city of Nashville. Hope uh, hope some people go out that way and attend 
all the races this weekend. If you missed that conversation, you can go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. And join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola Taste the Feeling. The Sports Call podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and the Tiger Communications app. A little bit later today, again at 5.15, Ryan Priest will join us, the driver of the number 41 Ford Mustang for Stuart Haas Racing. Stuart Haas Racing's had some news today. They're going to have some news tomorrow. We'll talk to Ryan about coming up to Nashville and the rest of uh, the season for those guys with, with Stuart Haas Racing. So looking forward to that. Again, that will be at 5.15 today. Just a few more minutes left in hour number one. Coming up in hour number two, we'll have birthdays in sports. Of course, more of your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Brooks, your first time on the show for the week, so your first time uh, to get to uh, rave, rant and rave about how good these Atlanta Braves have been for the last a uh, couple of weeks. We discussed it a little bit yesterday. Uh, and the question I posed that I will pose to you now, who are you most excited for that is having a hot streak right now? Really just about everyone other than Acuna and Riley are hot right now, which has been the most fun to see. Well, uh, first answer will be selfish because he's on my fantasy team, Eddie Rosario. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm really Fair. excited that he's doing some good things because my fan- that means my fantasy team's doing good things. Um, unfortunately, he's not in the lineup tonight. Uh, Kevin Pillar is in left field tonight for the the Braves, but that doesn't—he's not hurt. He's not right, hurt. Just he's a fine. lefty. It's just a lefty. Yeah. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm really excited uh, uh, that Matt Olson is hitting the ball well. Um, he's you know he's hitting some he's hitting some tanks too. There there's no short home run with Matt Olson at bat. Ozzy, I'm really excited that Ozzy's uh, continues to hit well and continues to do well. And he didn't miss a beat when they moved him up late last week into that uh, that two hole. He seemed you know he's, he's still having a, uh, a good time hitting. And I'm really excited. And I you know everybody knew that he would he he was still a good catcher. But since Sean Murphy went down with that hamstring over the weekend, Travis Darno stepped up really. Hatton missed a beat and you know you knew that he was still going to be a, a good catcher even after that you acquired Murphy and said hey Darno you're kind of going to be more on the DH side of things and then you're going to be the secondary catcher uh but with Murphy out for we you know we really don't know how long I don't think they're they put him on the IL stand I think yeah, they were working him out today to see how that hamstring was yeah so you know it, it's it's good to see that you can you've got two catchers on your roster and the Braves have done that in the past few years because you had Contreras and Darno where you could take out uh you know say Darno got hurt he and he got hurt last year with the uh, was it the thumb injury last year yeah uh and and he was out for a while and Contreras came in was the everyday catcher and didn't miss a beat there and so it, it's great that the Braves continue to have this this uh, rotation of you've got your main guy now it's Sean Murphy and you can if he gets hurt and uh, you can pull on you know get Darno up and he's not going to miss much of a beat um and it's it's you know it's just great it's great GMing by Alex Anthopoulos to have two guys on your roster that can continue to be inserted everywhere and he you know he's done that with several positions there's uh you know you can really put uh Pilar in the outfield for a couple different people 
and you're not going to miss much of a beat there because he, you know, when Pilar gets in there, he can he's still hitting uh, fairly well for his his uh, for the the role he's uh, a part of. But it it's just it's the fact that you you continue to have these little little injuries to different people, and whatever position they're in, that position has really not missed a beat because you've had some starting pitching now that you know it, it's it can be questionable at times but overall the, the pitching staff hasn't folded with with the 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 injuries of freed and Wright, um and then the bullpen you've had a, a couple guys get hurt jesse chavez the the latest uh, of those guys but the bullpen really hadn't missed a beat this weekend and so uh, it's it they've put themselves in a good position you're still what three games up on the Marlins because it was three and a half, and the Marlins won yesterday. The Braves didn't didn't play, uh, but you're you know you you've got a big gap between the the teams that you thought at the beginning of the year you were going to be really competing for the for the East end and the Phillies and the Mets, and they're they're down there in the the bottom you know middle to bottom half of the the East, and uh, you're you're fighting with the Marlins, but I, I think everybody's still waiting for the Marlins to to do what the Marlins do and it may they may not happen this year. They may still they may be a good baseball team all the way through September. But the the fact that the Braves keep not missing much of a beat uh going along even with a couple injuries it, it's really encouraging especially this part of the year. Uh, to tell you how encouraging it is, uh, I'm sitting here looking at the current All-Star ballot for 2023 and and where some of these Braves players rank right now. Uh Ronald Acuña of course first among outfielders in the ballots right now. First among outfielders. Uh, Sean Murphy, first among catchers right now. This one is shocking to me. Orlando Arcia, first among shortstops. That was the position going into the season that it was like, oh, what is Atlanta going to do at shortstop? Well, right now, Orlando Arcia is the first. He's, he's leading the, he's the the leading ballot getter for the All-Star right now at shortstop. Austin Riley, even among his struggles, second among third basemen. Matt Olson, second among first base. Uh, Sorry, Austin Riley second among third baseman. Matt Olson second among first baseman. Ozzie Albee second among second baseman. Holy goodness, they, that's just dominating the the uh, ballots right now. And then you get down here to Travis Darno; he's third among designated hitters. And so you're talking about the catcher situation right now. You've got the leading ballot guy in Sean Murphy, and your backup catcher is the third designated hitter in the voting. I, I mean, that's pretty darn good. Yeah, the Braves are trying to rack up. That is insane. Rack it up with uh, with all star guys. Uh, wasn't able to get to it yesterday, and I won't be able to get to it right now as we're about to go to our hour break. But uh, I still think that this lineup change of having Albie second and Olsen fifth has kind of sparked these guys. Both those guys are, are had really great series against Colorado again who didn't for the Braves. But uh, a little bit later, probably next week or so, we're going to get to the halfway point in the season and we're going to do above, even with, or below expectations. And pretty much all these guys right down the lineup are, are, are at least even with, if not above, expectations. We are out of time for hour number one. When we come back in hour number two, we're going to talk a little bit about Plainsman Park, alluded to earlier in the hour, the renderings of what uh, the plan is going to be for Plainsman Park renovations came out today in like a minute 15 video. So we'll talk a little bit about that and more. And, of course, birthdays and sports coming up as well. Brooks and Tom, my name is Ryan. We are out of time for hour number one. Back with more Sports Call right after this. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. 
Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. We thought that this would be opening day for the Thunder Chickens. Unfortunately, it is not. We will be having a practice tonight. I won't really be there, but that's okay. Tom, I, I will I, be there. I was there on Saturday. I so, was not there Saturday. So it all it all evens out in the end. You excited to get back out there, swing yeah. the bat a little bit? Yeah, uh, knock the rust off. I mean, I'm not getting any younger, so uh, I gotta you got to have a spring training. Yes, I got, not I get, too long to right. get you worn out, but just just. Get back in those yeah, swing things. Get back in the swing things. Get throw a little bit. Get the arm loosened back up and uh, make sure that uh, my heart doesn't explode while I'm out there. So uh, yeah, All I'm, good I'm excited. I'm ready to get out there and get on it. Absolutely. You know the ironic thing too is it's been dry so far today. Yeah, which has been rare the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so it actually could have been a good day to play. It's a little and warm. It, well, but I mean. Is it, is it supposed to not be warm this time of year? True. You're, you're, we're going to have that all summer. What I'm saying is you could play and it's hot. It's just going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. But you can't play if it's pouring rain or if it's, the fields are logged, waterlogged. And, uh, I'm, well, sure ne- I'm sure next week when we try yeah, to have our game, it that, will be a deluge. That's my point. This, this, this would have been a perfect time for opening day. Yep. And then watch us have trouble next Tuesday. But we'll try to keep an open mind. And again, excited for that to be a week away. Also excited because, as I said on the other side of that break, the uh, renderings of Plainsman Park were released today in video form, about a minute and 15, minute 20 long video to kind of show the timeline and show the, the real renderings yep. of what everything's going to look like inside Plainsman Park. Not much is going to be done for 2024, only the little seating area that's kind of behind the ballpark or behind the ballpark behind home plate. That's going to be kind of be more on a level, right. uh, more level with the field. Cause you know, right now, obviously it's like a good, I don't know, six, eight feet wall. And then mm-hmm. the seating starts. So this is going to be below that. Uh, and then there is going to be kind of like a, uh, a field level club. I think that goes into it. Hmm. I'm not sure. I, I'd have to look back I'm, at the video. I'm just now looking. I'm, is it, I, what's I it watched, called? The Home Run Club? Is that what this one's called? Or uh, is that the one in 2024? Maybe Brooks can provide some support. Because we were talking about the one? The, the one deal that's going to be ready in 2024. The 2024 is going to be the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame uh, Club. Hall of Fame Club that's going to be the new okay, yeah. ground level seats right behind home right. plate. Too expensive for me to afford. Hmm. Um, and and they're, it's going to have like a little lounge in the back. I would suspect that because of the new hitting lab out in, in right field, you, you know, you've got weights and stuff that's underneath the, the first base side of uh, the, the ballpark. I would assume, and I don't, you know, obviously don't know this for sure. I would assume they're turning, that's what's going to be the lab or not. There's going to be the, 
the uh, the club areas. They're going to move all that equipment find out to the the hitting lab, and that's that's going to be like the club area underneath. Yeah. And so that is the main thing going in in 2024. There's also not in the video. There's like a little uh, mention in the in the release that it's going to be a little upgrade in right center field to the yeah. terrace. They're going to add like a couple. It's going to be like a, a, a leveled. Like there's going to be like a couple levels to uh-huh. kind of like let more people in the back get to a higher vantage point to see into the ballpark where it's not just almost like a stage. Yeah, like a tiered stage. Yeah, or something, but where you can't where it's like you unless you're you know right now if you're you right on the fence you can see perfect. But if you're a few rows back in that. You crowd. need to be taller than yeah. the person in front of you. Yeah, so it's it, in the picture day. It gives the students and the and standing room only folks a little more viewing of the actual playing surface. The the my interesting take those in twenty twenty five. They're yeah, they're opening that uh the uh, uh the home plate club. So basically, where the media sits now is going to be premium seating. So where's the media going? That's where I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. We we had that question too. It looks like so okay, go, that that's in twenty twenty four. Those those two items. Just okay. behind home plate uh and the right center field. So twenty twenty five as Tom's talking about. They're gonna have kind of a luxury area, a club at, it's called home plate club. Kind of where I not kind of exactly where uh, the media sets up right now. We think that the T V booth and radio booths will not be moved. Yeah, because uh, on the video it kind of like flashes where the home plate club is going to uh-huh, be, and it's right. not those two in booths, which is where TV and the home uh, radio is. So it looks like that will be maintained, but uh, yes, there still needs to be at least a small area for for media. There's also going to be the uh, down the first base side. There's going to be an, a club area, Plainsman patio, Plainsman patio, which which is going to have accompanied by. I don't know if it's about five rows of seats, four to five rows of seats down the line in like an upper tier yeah. fashion. Kind of connected to some suites. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know if you're going to have to have one of those suites to have those seats or or if, if those are going to be separate deals. Right. I'm not it kind of reminds sure. me of kind of reminds me of what uh, Riverwalk Stadium in Montgomery has down their lines with some of the, the boot, like the little – uh, suites with yeah. the seats that are in front of them. That's kind of what that reminds me of. Is beautiful minor the way league Riverwalk ballpark. looks just, like. Just sidebar, beautiful minor league ballpark is playing as a river Riverwalk. Walk. And so that's first baseline. There's nothing in right, correct, or the, in the rendering. not down the line. Okay. No, there. I think everything is staying the same that way. And then you go back over to third base side uh, and left field. Obviously, there's going to be the new addition war eagle wall is what they're going to call the seating uh above the green the huge green wall in left field and that looked to be again trying to recall this from memory three or four rows it looked like it looks like it's like two two it's okay, like two, two terraces two okay so it won't be much to, yeah and there's it's no only be probably is from what it's what this yeah, video the, is showing yeah. it's like okay. you've got drink rails where you can stand up there but there's no Okay. Chairs. To yeah, sit it's like in. standing room on top of the monster. But now it's connected to the the terrace that goes down mm-hmm. the left field. They're going to expand that terrace down past the wall and then have some ramps and stairs that go up on top of the green monster. But yeah, according to the renderings, I don't. There's. It's not showing any chair back seats. It's just showing two levels of walkways with drink rails where you can stand up there with your drink and stand up and watch from up top. Gotcha. I I might be. Uh, so let's talk about our opinions of all this. 
I, I would like there to be seats there. I would too. I, sure. I, I think that there's other ways to stand and take in the game from a, uh, a fairly far way out. So I, admittedly, I'd want seats there. And again, that might happen. This is the first step, and it's a great step to actually have a viewing experience in left field. If you look at the SEC baseball parks, a lot of a lot of parks have viewing experiences out in the outfield. Maybe yeah. they're not as unique as Auburn's potential to have it on top of the monster, but they have outfield seating. I think a lot of people have pointed out Duty Noble because of John Cohen being here mm-hmm. now. I think a lot of people on Twitter have pointed out how Duty Noble kind of looks in the outfield. That's what they're look. That's what it kind of looks like in in left field for the this Tiger War Eagle Wall Terrace. Right. Which again, I, I want to point out that this is getting good reviews. Uh, from those that I'm seeing it. So, for example, Aaron Fitz, who's one of the the big riders at D1 Baseball, says the plans for the Plainsman Park renovation look pretty darn awesome. It's already a wonderful ballpark, and it's going to get even cooler. The War Eagle Wall area looks particularly great. So not even getting, I mean, even that part of it, which I say, well, you know, I really would prefer seats there. Even that's still getting a lot of love. Um Anything else, guys, that you either really like or really don't like or something that you think is missing in this round of renovations? The, the one thing that I did not see in the renderings were seats on top of the – out in the in the right field. The, the, is that the hitting lab? Yeah. Uh, originally, there, they were showing that there was going to be bleachers on top of that, which would serve as like the K corner where – and. In these renderings, I don't see any plans for seats on top of that hitting lab. And I think that was – they talked about that when all these first got announced. I believe last summer is when all this stuff started to get announced. Um, it, it There was not really a uh, – a, there was a plan that, that if I remember correctly there was a talk about putting like a terrace or like a, a something on top of that hitting lab in right field but I guess that those either those plans have been put on hold or they were scrapped or for for now but the the thing that I'm I'm kind of you know I'm I wish they would do but I can understand why they're not doing it is you know down that uh, first base side of things you're extending the uh the covering over the existing seats, the, the, yeah, the shade over the existing seats. And then the seats down the right field line are going to be shaded in the, you know, late afternoons, uh, by the, the overhang above the suites slash the suites. Once the sun gets low enough, there's going to have shade on that side. I thought at one point they were going to extend the, the overhang down the first baseline to cover those seats that are up, you know, that, that goes down to section one eleven. Uh, I believe, but I understand, you know, thinking about it, I understand why they wouldn't do that because then you're, uh, it, it does not look, you know, you, you, in theory, you could put suites like they've done this. You could do a mirror image on the first base side of things with suites up top and everything, but then you're cutting off all the fans in the parking deck. And I know ultimately well, third base. Yeah. Third base, not first base. Well, I'm, they 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 put. Up, he's they, saying he's saying if you mirrored what yeah. you were doing on the first. Place. Oh, yeah. mirrored. Yeah. Whether, if you gotcha, if you mirrored gotcha. it, you could. I mean, in theory, you could mirror it, but you're you're. And I know you know not necessarily all the the fans that stand in the parking deck are paying to watch the baseball game, and I, you know that's the ultimate. You know, and one of the ultimate goals is to make money off of your baseball team, but you're you know that's that's such a fun area. And, you know, we talk to uh, Kevin Ives every week during the baseball season, playing some parking lot, the whole group that goes up to the very top of the parking deck. And then during the regionals, that that thing is packed. That thing was in the SEC weekends, that thing is packed. And so I I understand you don't want to take away that viewing uh, experience 
if you extend those that overhang down the first base side of things uh, and take away some of the viewing vantage points from the parking deck. But uh, it, I, overall, I like it. I think it's it's good. I'm I'm interested from our side of things. I'm interested to see where they do put the media because there's not really an it doesn't appear there's an obvious place where you're like, oh, that's where they're sticking the, the new media. There's not like a new press box here. So it, it's going to be it, – I'd like to see what, what ultimately gets done there. But ultimately, you know, otherwise, I'm fine with the upgrades. I think that you're not losing what Plainsman Park is, which I think a lot of people – and, you know, I, I think this may have been what James was getting at when he called earlier. Uh, you know, you don't want to lose the, the special – feel that is Plainsman Park. It's kind of a small, intimate environment. You're not losing that because you're not adding thousands of seats. You're just adding some premium spaces that's going to, you know, it makes it a little bit more, it, it does feel like it can, keeps the same level of, of, of intimate baseball that you're you're used to while coming to a Plainsman Park. Hey, the one thing I guess I, I'm looking at a freeze frame of the, the rendering, it you obviously people can't see what I'm pointing to. Is this where you're talking about extending the roof? Yeah, yeah. yeah on okay. that first base side of things. Third base. Third base side of things, yeah. That's where I kept getting confused. You kept saying first base. I was like, wait, it is standard. I do that all the time. I say first base when I it, do it does. I, I will say it makes it look a little wonky. Uh, if you don't extend the roof down the bleachers. So, uh, all right. So, if you're looking at it from the outfield, uh, the new expansion is going to have that roof that shades down the first base line, but then it stops over on the third base line. It stops at about Auburn's dugout. So from Auburn's dugout above it and then down, there's no roof. So it kind of makes it wonky looking. You've got big, huge roof going down the first baseline, and then it cuts off, and then there's nothing over here except exposed bleachers. I would I would definitely want to expand the roof down. Just but see, that's what Brooks is talking about. He was not uh, getting it confused when what he was talking about with what they're doing on the first base side and how far down it's going versus right. how far it's not going down the third base side. The point being, if it goes down far enough on the third base side, it could block the parking decks view. Yeah, well, that well, see, that would be that would only be if the if it goes all the way down over the terrace. But if you just cover the seats, the actual bleacher seating, and stop it before the terrace, then it should not block the view. Because you don't think when you're, would, when you don't you're, think it would block home plate. At I don't. Least? I don't think so. I, I don't I, know. I don't know. I, I don't. I'd have to look at it, yeah. and maybe Field Kevin trip. would have an educated opinion on that since he's all. It's always his vantage point right. over there. But I again, that you would well, you here, would wonder. Uh, but here's the other thing, and this, this is one thing, and I'm not being a Debbie Downer. I'm glad Auburn has not done this. For as much money as that as the university makes on ticket sales, and as for as much money as they want to try, or for as much as they want to get people in the stadium and everything, I'm really surprised that they have allowed the parking deck thing to happen uh, for free viewing. Because I don't know of any other sporting event, uh, a college that you can go and watch it for free. And in most places where that happens, they usually block it. I know, like, for instance, University of Georgia, the bridge back there uh, uh, in one of the end zones, Yeah, people used to stand up on that bridge and watch games. They put a big fence with tarps over it so people couldn't stand on the bridge and watch the game for free. Other places that have had areas where you might be able to get a viewing for free, block it off. Or, you know, like in an outfield area, they'll have it where you have to pay to set up in the outfield and things like that. So typically – it, typically, if there's a big viewing standpoint where you don't have to pay anything to watch the game, they 
most folks block that off and auburn has not done that and i'm proud of them for not doing it uh it does add that great atmosphere on that parking deck but again i you know i i've been shocked that they have not started trying to charge people to get up on that deck i can't think of one off the top of my head it still would kind of surprise me if not a single place did it like like had like grassy outfield seating right that went uncharged like you could you could definitely talk me into some schools do that uh but again i don't i don't i don't know how every single school operates with with uh their their pay structure and and with their ticketing but you know my only thought would be is that it's so high like it's the it's the top of that deck's the highest viewpoint yeah, and it's also 500 feet from the plate, right. basically, because it's left field plus another 100 or 200 feet to the left. So, I mean, like, I get it. I know what you're saying. But at the same time, Auburn needed to expand some of its seating options first before oh, it yeah. starts to get irritated by that part of it. Oh, I agree. Um, and so, you know, some people obviously inherently don't even love a lot of extra premium seating, but – Plainsman Park really didn't have it at all. Right. I mean, I couldn't think of a real hyper premium area. Like, I mean, you anyone could buy those seats right behind the plate before. You know, we had a buddy of ours sit there one time, and we, you can sit in those closer seats, and you know, in that first kind of the the row, the level of five or six rows before you go to the upper level. So, I like I'm I'm good with this because. A lot of other ballparks have it. It's a great revenue-generating tool, and I don't see how it decreases the experience for anyone else. It's just going to give you a different way of of having an enhanced experience. So I like those parts of it. You're right. I think it probably – I don't know. Did it say in the press release how many seats it was going to actually add? Because I would – I would think it's only actually a couple hundred new seats yeah, at the, the end of the day. The Hall of Fame Club, which is in the one that's going to be opening in 2024, will add 113 premium seats at field level. Okay. So and then that, there's that area in right. So let me scroll down. We can do some um, math on the fly. The expanded planes and patio on first base club, the third level will feature, feature all new upscale ballpark experience. The area is expected to include about 200 new seats, ranging from type from cushion back seats to outdoor lodge seating options and will be elevated food so that's 200 plus 113 is 313 and then what was the other the first base club or the home plate club uh this area is expected to include approximately 50 high-end seats in a climate controlled environment 313 plus 50 so 363 new seats and then war eagle wall there's not a it's since it looks like like standing room only and i'll tell you what i clicked on um the you know it, on the press release it says the uh you know for there's that they haven't worked out ticket prices yet but for you know interest in uh some of our premium options click here to learn more and you go to the you know it's a fill out the form with your tigers unlimited stuff uh and i'm interested in and it says hall of fame club home plate club first base club so it doesn't list the war eagle wall as a premium space I so, wouldn't think why it would be though. I but mean, there, there was it, talk about it though it, right. uh, when they first did this that it would be like a premium, like it, you yeah. got to pay more to go it, there. It, well, it, almost, it almost looks like it's just an expansion of that left field terrace. Yeah. Right. The Tiger Terrace is like they just expanded it to, up on top of the wall. Yeah. Well, and again, I would have pushed back on on that deserving to be premium because although that is a cool experience, like if you're not even going to put seats on it, yeah. Like, 
There, there's. I'm sorry. This is going to sound kind of grumpy, but there's nothing premium premium about standing for three hours. Right. I mean, it just just isn't. Uh, you stand on top of a wall, though. Man. <laughs> hit me. Yeah. Hit me. Like, win hamburger. Like or Humpty something. Dumpty. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So about 363 new seats overall uh, coming to Plains and Park. Again, majority of that 2025, but the stuff at home plate uh, kind of field level. Will be, be next year in 2024. All right, we're going to take our first time out of our number two. When we come back, birthdays and sports, you're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger know how easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn i'm deshaun davis former auburn tigers football player and all sec linebacker you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LeMoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday. And, uh, yeah, I said it was sunny a half hour ago. Um, if you're wondering what's going on outside, it's not raining yet, but it's getting super cloudy. As Jerry Jones would say, it's not my fault. Uh, I don't control the weather. I just talk about it sometimes and... Yeah, we are, for the what's worth, we are going to practice tonight. And so we, we still prefer the no rain deal because that would that would cloudy that up. That would dampen our spirits. It would. Uh, it would. Uh, <laughs> it would, Dean. But you know what? But wouldn't it be appropriate for a Thunder Chickens event to get rained out? Oh, absolutely. Uh, unequivocally, Well, that's just yes. next week when we're actually going to get ready to play a game. True. Well, I don't know. The Thunder Chickens can... We, we do bring they, the thunder. I was going to say, they call us the thunder chickens right. for a reason. And by we bring the thunder, I mean we bring the thunder for everyone else's Are we bats. getting new jerseys? Uh, there's talk of that. Oh. Cannot confirm or deny. Very possible. Well, I mean, I was asked for my shirt size, and I was we like, should get. Oh, okay. We should do, like, the Colorado Rockies thing where we have, like, a, like Alternate, a vest. Oh, the vest? Yeah, like the vest kind of deal with a short sleeve underneath it. Get some merch. Yeah. Yeah. Can we get hats this year? For the team that still never won a regulation softball game yes. during its third year. <laughs> but by God, we can be excited. Yes, and we can uh, enjoy our, our time playing some playing some softball. We're the new lovable losers, dang it. Oh, yeah. We're certainly losers. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we are lovable. You're lovable, Brooks. You're a great yeah. guy. All right. Uh, we also love celebrating everyone's birthday in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. All right, today we've got Darren Sproles, who turns 40, former NFL running back. Sproles was born in Kansas and led his high school to three state titles in four years. Uh, That would be Olaf North in Kansas. Go Eagles. Go Eagles. He was named the Kansas Player of the Year twice, played in or placed in the top five in several track and field events, played college football at Kansas State. The Cats. Where he set a total of 23 school records, was named three-time All-Big 12 player and one-time All-American. 
In 2005, he was drafted by the Chargers and began a 15-year NFL career, three-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, one-time Super Bowl champion, holds NFL record for most all-purpose yards in the season with 2,696. That, though, feels like a breakable record uh, if someone uh, does uh, the big-time receiving yards, big-time rushing yards. I know he also was returner, though, so that would be the that'd be the mark there, but it feels breakable. Darren Sproles turns 40 today. How dare I tell him that his record is breakable on his birthday. I know. Leonard Williams turns 29, defensive end for the New York Giants. Williams was born in Florida, where he was a two-sport athlete in football and track. At Mainline High School in Daytona Beach, Florida, go Buccaneers. Hey, there we go. Uh, he was ranked as a four-star recruit and played college football at USC. Fight on. He won Pac-12 Freshman of the Year in 2012, was an All-American in 2013-14, taken six overall by the Jets in 2015, and is a one-time Pro Bowler. Leonard Williams turns 29 today. Big recruiting battle with Auburn for Leonard Williams back in the day. Auburn really wanted him bad. Well, well he went to Southern California. He did. Very opposite side of the side of the U.S. Fight on. Fight <laughs> on. I got sad. Carlos Lee turns 47, former MLB uh, first baseman and outfielder. Lee was born in Panama and was signed by the White Sox as an international player. Made his MLB debut in 1999. Hit a home run in his first at-bat. Played 14 seasons in the major leagues for the White Sox, Brewers, Rangers, Astros, and Marlins. Three-time All-Star and two-time Silver Slugger. Had a lot of power. I think his nickname was El Caballo. El Caballo. El Caballo. Yeah, he's from Agadolce, Panama. Go Panama. Agua. Agua Dolce. <laughs> Agua Dolce, Panama. Go Panamanians. Carlos Lee turns 47 today. Let's see, Carl Sanders or uh, Kyle. Kyle Sanderson. Kyle. Kyle Sanderson. C A E L, Kyle. Yep. A little different spelling of it. That's all right, because he was a former Olympic wrestler, so I would not want to fight him about it. Sanderson was born in Utah. It was a four time Utah state champion in high school, compiling a 127 3 record. And that would have been at Wasatch High School in Haber City, Utah. Get Go. Go Wasps. Oh. Wasps. Wasps. However, if you look at their logo, it is the exact same mascot logo as the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. They all like, are. Exactly. Yeah, but that's a Yellow Jacket. Hornets, Yellow Jackets, yeah. Wasps. The I, anyone that uh, does like those, you have the exact well, same see, when I pulled it up, when I pulled it up and was looking for the info because there's not a Wikipedia, I had to actually pull up their website and I was like, okay, they're going to be the Yellow Jackets. No, nope, they're the Wasps. Also, Wasps is a unique one because you hear Hornets, you hear Yellow Jackets. They're the Wasatch Wasps. You don't hear Wasps. Good good W's there. I'll be a good name. Just get a different logo. How's that sound? He attended Iowa State University. No Cyclones. Like what? The the what? Beginning in 1987 where he went undefeated for his college career, winning four straight Big 12 and national titles. Sanderson finished college with the first and only ever perfect record of 159-0. Is that any good? He's the only wrestler to win the Dan Hodge Trophy multiple times, having won it three years in a row. He holds the NCAA wrestling record for longest winning streak across all divisions and is recognized as the greatest collegiate wrestler of all time, I would think so. In 2004, at the Olympic Games, Sanderson won gold for the United States. He's currently the head wrestling coach at Penn State. Go Lions. So Kyle Sanderson turns 44 today. And Think then, about that. You, you went. You were born in, went to high school in Utah. Go very, very mountainous. <laughs> and then you go to college in one of the flattest states yep. in the in the union in Iowa. And you're surrounded by corn. 
Yeah. And tornadoes. Cyclones. And tornado. Yeah. Then go to Pennsylvania to coach. Yeah. Cheney Johnson turns 21. Forward for Auburn men's basketball team. Johnson was born in Birmingham and played three seasons of college basketball at UAH. Let's go Lancers. Chargers. 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 As a junior, Johnson was named Gulf South Conference Player of the Year and led UAH to a regular season conference title. After his junior year, he transferred to Auburn. What uh, Birmingham? Eagle. Eagle. <laughs> yeah. What Birmingham High School is he from? So he was from uh, Alabaster, Alabama. He went to Thompson High School. Oh, go Warriors. Warriors. Don't yeah. they all? Yeah. Don't well, they all? That's usually to... a football quarterbacking thing. But that's but true. yes, yeah. but yes, Thompson is a rather large, successful high school in the Birmingham area. And that's where Cheney Johnson is from, who turns 21 today. Those are the birthdays in sports. Cheney Johnson, 21. Kyle Sanderson, uh, 44. Carlos Lee, 47. Leonard Williams, 29. And Darren Sproles, 40. We're going to take our next time out. Back with more Sports Call right after this. Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call. We're on this Tuesday afternoon. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brooks Childress with you here. And let's go back to our Auburn Bank phone line now at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Up next, Ward Dam Steve. Retire Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you doing? Good, gentlemen. How's your day been going? Pretty good so far. Pretty good so far. Okay. So everybody's just saying out of trouble, Tom Brooks? Uh, trying to. Uh, yeah, I, I've been too busy working to get into trouble, so at, we'll at, see what happens okay. tonight. At least haven't been caught yet. That's that's a good uh, thing. Okay, well, that's, that's better. You see, this trying stuff, you know, they say that a lot down in the South, but, you know, it's like people, they say, we're trying to get pregnant. Well, you're either doing what it takes to get pregnant or you're not. You know, one or two, what is it? You know, you're not trying, right? Okay. Uh, we'll let that go. So well, let's talk about some... Uh, expansions and uh, renovations for the uh, Plainsman uh, Baseball Park, right? Yes, sir. There's a lot of them. Yeah, uh, apparently Phase 1 is going to be called the Hall of Fame Club. Yep, uh, that one's going to be, I guess, right behind home plate, kind of on uh, level with the field. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So uh, the other two phases will be completed said by the uh, 2026. Yeah. So do you know how many more seats will be eventually than um, – I guess I added, and what would the total attendance be for that? Yeah, we were uh, we were doing the math on that. They're going to add uh, in total three hundred and sixty three seats 
uh, is what the addition is. I don't know. Do you guys know off the top of your head what Plainsman Park seats right now? Uh, three thousand something. Yeah. So something. it's going to be it's an additional three hundred and sixty three seats. Okay. Well. Okay. I for some reason I thought it was going to be like maybe a few more thousand. I, I guess obviously assumed wrong. Then four thousand and ninety six is the official capacity. So yeah, it'll be up to about forty four hundred. Yeah. I mean. Again, it's not it's not about the the quantity of seats they're adding. It's about the quality of them and kind of uh, new experiences and, and 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 obviously you know they do have the the deal in left field above the wall, but that's not going to count towards seats because it's going to be a standing area. So it's not it's not uh, there's not a specific capacity. There's not a, a hardback seat or anything. Okay, gotcha. Do you happen to know what SEC team has the largest capacity for their baseball? Mm. I would say I don't know about. I, I know I, Mississippi State had a game with twenty something thousand yeah. at their place, but I don't know. Texas A and M holds a, Texas A and M holds a bunch. Arkansas. There's several that seat double digit. Yeah, Arkansas. Arkansas holds a whole bunch. Yeah. Mm. So, so yeah, no. There's a few that are at least low tens, uh, maybe twelve, fourteen thousand. And State did have that record tens. I'm not sure that's how many actual seats are available. I think they had standing room stuff there, but Mississippi State is the largest. Duty Noble Field has fifteen thousand seats. Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, they must really like baseball. They do. They they yeah, and they've won a national title recently. Yes, they have. And then we haven't heard from them since then, right? Yep, they've had a <laughs> had a rough time of it this year. Um, that's, it's kind of amazing isn't it? that uh, is it much harder in baseball to be consistently on top. I don't know if it's much harder. I think there is a degree of difficulty with it because of the sport in itself. Uh, it's harder to to play at a consistent level again we, we've talked about why upsets happen in the sport and why there is some more randomness randomness why you play more games and and that sort of thing so there's still certainly programs that uh, are elevated that that continue to have success year in year out but for example you know we we, we can think of teams both in football and basketball that make a ton of final fours or a playoff appearances in football win a bunch of titles but in baseball for example, the last 10 years, I think maybe the best example of sustained success might be a team like Florida, who's been to the College World Series seven in the last 10 years and haven't exactly won a bunch of titles or anything. There's kind of been there a lot and been in it late. So uh, I, I think it's definitely tough to stay at the absolute top for a long period of time and to actually get a lot of trophies from it. So which is more difficult to win championships in? Is it Baseball, basketball, or football? What's more difficult? Yeah. Right. Ba- I think basketball is more difficult. I think basketball or baseball, because of the tournaments that they put on, I, I think that, uh, you know, basketball, it's, though. Basketball is one and done. Right. At least in these baseball tournaments, it's a, you can. It's two, but also two. that goes into the sport itself being more random, too. Well, like, sure. like the. the the basketball tournament, for as crazy as it is, it all it, it typically gets one or two teams. I know UConn this year was not an example of that, but it typically gets one or two teams that were clearly in the running for best team in the country. And if I'm just thinking about teams that have won a bunch of titles that that uh, have been good, I mean, I feel like there's been a little more stability in basketball and the top of the and the the sport of basketball than there has been in in baseball, but. Again, I think that's up for debate. So I, I don't have a problem with going with either one. Uh, baseball, you have to win uh, more games. You know that that's another side of it too. 
is you have to win at least, what, three to get out of the regional, two to get out of the Supers, and then uh, three or four more in the College World Series. You have to win the most games to win in baseball. So I can see an argument for baseball or basketball. I would certainly pick one of those two. Well, give me your thoughts on this, guys, because I read it from Jason Caldwell, uh, I think it was a few days ago, uh, that he was in favor uh, and supportive of doing away with this two out of three, you know, uh, that you have to win to get into the World Series. Instead, just go to series wins like they do, say, in the basketball tournament in the NCAA. Uh, well, what are you guys thoughts about that? You know, doing away, having to win two out of three to, to, to then uh, go to the next level. But I just do it the way, you know, the NCAA tournament is. You know, you one and done. I think that goes into the, again, the randomness of the sport. And I don't know if baseball uh, should really, I don't think it would, I think the one and done in basketball makes it so, because again, that's a sport where you play a lot of games. It's not like football, where obviously football, you just can't play series. It's just going to, it's just going to be too much. I think with basketball, the reason why it's one and done is they've really perfected March Madness. They've made such a big deal out of it, and the suddenness of how teams end their seasons uh, makes it so popular. But in baseball, a sport in which there's not as many eyeballs on it, I think you're trying to generate interest. Like I, I, I think if you were just eliminating teams immediately and you were just the suddenness of it, really wouldn't capture eyes because baseball is not as popular at the college level uh, or even close, really, to college basketball uh, and, and certainly college football. So I think that they the goal is to kind of build up the attention and the hype over a period of time. So I, I don't really see the need to or, or see it being overwhelmingly successful to, to cut that down uh, and make it one-game scenarios. Well, you know, I was kind of leaning towards uh, Caldwell's basic call as a you know, support of the, of the one and done. Primarily because teams like in Alabama, like Auburn and Alabama, well, are a disadvantage. I think you can tell me otherwise. Uh, if they have to win two out of three um, because of the scholarship limitations, where if it's one and done, you maybe have a higher probability of upsetting someone, um, and and less of likelihood that you know you have to contend with the higher talented team who have the uh, the, the scholarships you know availability that we can't give. Uh, but is my logic maybe flawed there? I mean, I, I see what you're saying from the scholarship point of it, but uh, I don't think any team in the SEC, whether they have the full allotment of scholarships or not, uh, are at a disadvantage because to be an SEC team is to have access to the best players in the country, the best facilities, the schools that care the most about baseball uh, of, of any conference and any grouping of teams. So uh, I, I do not think the big teams – have a disadvantage because usually those teams are full of more talent. And even if they have a couple less scholarships, like in the case of Auburn, you're still going to get incredibly talented players because you're Auburn and because you're in the SEC and guys are going to want to play in the SEC with eyeballs on them, with pathways to Major League Baseball, with a history being in this conference. And so even with the couple of scholarship disadvantage, I mean, that's still – it's an awesome deal to play in the SEC, and those teams are still going to have the deeper, more talented rosters. Okay, so you don't see it as being disadvantaged to Auburn or Alabama have to compete with no. uh, teams like Georgia or Mississippi State or LSU that can offer these scholarships with Vanderbilt even. Well, I mean, I, again, if you're talking in, in conference, then there can be a disadvantage. Sure, I, I think 
I was talking about the the NCAA tournament as a whole. I mean, it's not the NCAA tournament. It's not the SEC tournament. There's every league is is represented. You are, yeah, so. I mean, the same thing. Because if you're a disadvantage, being able to get say uh, some of these players, you know, they're really good, but they don't have the resources financially to afford to pay for some of their tuition at Auburn, then they're going to be maybe going to places that yeah, we'll pay you your full scholarship. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah, again, I that's where I think that. You know, if you want to talk about within the SEC, SEC, sure, but with the other conferences involved, then I think that's not so got, much. Yeah, I, I think that that advantage gets washed because again, there's going to be high quality of players that play at Auburn, regardless on if they're getting a full scholarship or part scholarship or or what have you. You can also start to think about it in terms of NIL too, and Auburn is going to be able to maybe compensate some of that with these NIL opportunities where, okay, you go out to a Big Ten school or something, and they just could not care less about baseball. They just There's not many schools at all that, that have been reputable baseball programs. So their NIL attention is not going to be driven at all uh, to, to baseball, where at least in the SEC and with Auburn, Alabama, et cetera, although there's clearly bigger sports, baseball does matter to these schools, just not – on the level of football or basketball, but they do matter on a level that that still extends higher than than a lot of these other power conference schools. Okay, bye. Um, you've convinced me of my uh, faulty logic there. Uh, does this hold true for softball? Do they get full scholarships or only partial? I don't see why it would be different than than baseball. Uh, again, I I don't because uh, I'm trying to figure out, Ryan, how's Oklahoma? And I've asked y'all this in time as well. How they have been so consistently good, so darn good, and I mean uh, statistically, significantly better than everybody else. So for the past several years, well, that's that's not just scholarship number deal there. That that is once you build a, a great program and you get that ball rolling, then you you start to be able to offer other things that other schools just can't if they're not succeeding, like. A lot of schools can't just promise you, yeah, you're going to go to the Women's College World Series and you're going to have a chance to win a title. It, people, Other programs can say that, but it would be a lie or it would be more of a hope than an expectation. And Sure, that's understandable. I guess, Ryan, do we know the origins of how Oklahoma got to where they're at? How did they begin to, to, to do this? Yeah, I mean, you, you hire, I mean, you have a coach that hits on the right formula for a little while or gets the right group of players to win. Initially, I mean, they won early. I mean, they won a few years into it uh, with Patty Gasol, but I, I think that they also had a period after that title where they were good, but they weren't awesome for a few years, and then they kind of went back on top. and And part of it too is the there's more publicity, there's more media attention with softball than it was 20 years ago. Obviously, it pales in comparison to the top couple. Of sports, the revenue generating sports, but there's there's still clearly more attention on on softball than there was 20 years ago. So now it is more relevant that they are great, whereas 20 years ago it was. It's all always awesome to be good, but it's not as sure of a thing back then when there's not any eyeballs on it. Yeah. Okay, and finally, Tom, you know I talked to y'all yesterday about what do y'all think uh, how close uh, the game is going to be between Wake Forest and uh, LSU. And uh, I said, would it be a one-run game? Well, it was a one-run game. And I, I'm just impressed by Wake Forces, you know, never giving up. They came from behind, from behind from two to nothing. Yeah, I, see that. yeah, it's a yeah. I mentioned it uh, early on the show about how uh, I was correct on that. I thought Wake Forest would win it, but I was definitely wrong on how close I thought it would be. I was also dead wrong that there. Were, 
I figured there would be at least some home runs hit in that game, and there were zero home runs hit. It was a pitcher's duel, and I did not imagine that game would come down to that. And, and yeah, it did. And Wake Forest, they did just enough they needed to do, and then uh, their third baseman made that incredible play to uh, gun an LSU guy down at, uh, at home that would have given LSU the lead in the eighth inning. And then Wake Forest bats were able to take care of it. So, yeah, I was uh, I was definitely correct in who my winner was, but I was definitely wrong in, in the closeness of that game. Yeah, they're going to be closer. So now uh, Wake Forest has to take on Florida, right? Uh, uh, the Wake Forest. That's right. No, it, it's they're going to play. Wake Forest is going to play the winner of tonight's LSU Tennessee game, I, I believe. Because okay, I, I thought I, they played Florida because Florida's only under other undefeated team. No, because they're on different sides of the bracket. Oh, oh yeah, so, Florida's got TCU officially yeah, tomorrow. Okay. TCU's win. Brooks is correct. So, so you may yeah. have you may have those two in the championship game. Wake Forest and right LSU may play each other again. Then that's correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, are they wearing out their pitchers? I mean, I think I, I haven't kept tabs on every single person they use. I mean, I've I've not watched much of this, but any game that goes by, you're trying to limit how many times you go to the bullpen. And one thing that helps is, you know, up until you hit today, everybody's gotten a day off in between each one. So if, if you've had some, you know, bullpen guys that pitched, you give them a day, you know, a day of rest, and then you get back into that. Uh, in back into playing now you're start this is the stretch here where you're going to start seeing those pitching staffs test a little bit because you're going to have them play today you're going to have uh, if they you know they, they played yesterday for LSU at least LSU like Tennessee you had them play yesterday you're going to have them play today and they're going to probably play tomorrow and then if they make it through tomorrow then you hit the weekend series uh, uh, starting on fr- uh, Friday or Saturday. And so you're you're gonna have a, a day off somewhere in there, but it's still it it's not like it's not like it has been where you've gotten a day off in between your your other games. You're you're starting to hit a stretch where everybody's gonna be tested here for a couple of days. Just one more minute left in the okay. hour. So I know nothing about any of these teams in terms of bullpens. Do you know who who you think might have stronger bullpens among these teams that are left? Yeah, I'm really not sure. I mean, I, I I can tell you this: LSU's LSU's bullpen is one that has struggled a lot through the season. They have some great starting pitching. Their bullpen has been suspect. Now, as far as you get to the others, I, I really don't know. I just know LSU's bullpen struggled, uh, really starting from that stretch where Auburn took them down in that series, all the way through the SEC tournament. Their their bullpen was the uh, was kind of the thorn in their side as they lost a couple series down the stretch. All right, guys. My time is up. I always thank you for your time. Uh, I'll be um, curious to see who uh, has to play Wake Forest again. If it sells you, that'll be a humdinger. So until tomorrow, guys, have a safe afternoon and evening. And uh, War Eagle, guys. War Eagle, Steve, appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Just a few seconds left here in hour number two. Again, a reminder that in hour number three at 515, we'll have Ryan Priest, uh, driver of the NASCAR Cup Series, he will join us, so get your phone calls in at the top of this hour uh, as we'll have Ryan Priest on at 5.15. We are out of time for hour number two. Again, more of your phone calls and Ryan Priest coming up in hour number three. Stay tuned. More Sports Call after this timeout.
Two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy, who bless you, sir. Uh, then hit a sneezing fit all of a sudden right here as we start the third uh, hour. Found, all, found the pepper I put in the corner. I guess so. <laughs> Always love it when that happens. Ah. It, coming up at 5.15, Ryan Priest of the NASCAR Cup Series will be joining us. So in the meantime, let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-341 locally or toll-free. Wonder Blake 9, Tiger 9. Next up on the program today, Jeff from Columbus. Jeff is with us. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing just fine, guys. How are you? Doing very well. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to not have to drive home from work in the rain. Or it, it looks like it might rain, but dang, I tell you, it's a, I'm actually in the pool right now, and I can't believe the pool is still cold, and it's almost dang July. Yeah, well, <laughs> there is... Yeah, there is yeah. some rain on the way. I've maybe an hour yeah. or two, but uh, no, let's not count the chickens on a dry oh, day yet. Exactly, exactly. Well, the thunder chickens I thought was the ones that brought all the rain because. <laughs> but um, hey, I was man. I'm gonna call them real quick because uh, what was it? You said there's a wrestler right from Utah. Yes. Who uh, he wrestled at Iowa, right? It was his birthday and stuff like that. You all know why he wrestled at Iowa, right? Why is that? Because it's the best collegiate wrestling school in the country. If you're a wrestler, you want to go to Iowa. So the odd thing here, though, is, Jeff, he, he's he's from Iowa State. Iowa State. Oh, okay. Well, either way. The state of Iowa, enough. great it's state to wrestle. The yeah. state <laughs> of Iowa, they have nothing but potatoes and wrestling. Okay. <laughs> So, I'm telling you. So, this just gets to my thing with Steve. Steve is sitting there wondering why Oklahoma's getting these recruits. Why Alabama and Georgia get these recruits. Why does Kentucky and North Carolina get the basketball recruits? People want to play for a winning team, right? Yes. If you're a five-star, why does he not understand that? Steve, I'm talking to you. Why, I mean... Auburn went to, what, the Final Four. They didn't make it to the championship game, right? Right. Okay, and how many years ago was that? 2019, yeah. Right. So, Auburn's not a blue blood. They're not going to get every five-star player that comes through, okay? And Georgia's getting some five-star players now in basketball. But he says, oh, scholarships, scholarships. I believe Auburn finished better than Georgia in baseball this year, didn't they? And yes. basketball. And we've got the lottery. Right. right. I mean, so that, I mean, I, I, I mean, 
you've got to recruit the kids that want to play for you and want to play for winners. Is what I'm is is my opinion, right? It, or how can you get me to the next level? Yes. Okay, and, and Bruce Pearl's doing a good job of that. But there's all these other basketball. You know, uh, do you think it would be better, easier to get to? Well, I guess in basketball, it's kind of on the player, isn't it? Because they're going to be one and done. It doesn't matter where they play. Yeah, I mean, Am there's I right? there's there's a there's a type of recruit that that is that way. Absolutely. Now, there's still over time, obvious schools, the the true blue bloods that that still spit them out year after year. But uh, it's such an individualized deal at, at times with those guys at the top. That yeah, they're in, in basketball because so many of them are one and done. Like it's almost a bad thing to be in school three or four years. There's not a whole lot of schools that just have this developmental process that, okay, well, at year one you clearly weren't a pro, but by year three you were, and now you're gone. The NBA starts to devalue you if you're in in the in college too long. Okay, and that's why I was going to say, also, like, what's this uh, new quarterback you got coming in? Uh, Peyton Thorne from um, Michigan State. Thorne, Thorne. Yep. And how long has he been playing? I think he was started at Michigan State two years. Okay, two years. Was it the boy? Was it the? Uh, was it the football player from the quarterback from Nebraska that had played four years already, or something like that? Yes, uh, Thompson. Well, who, okay. Yeah, who ended up going okay. to what FAU? I think he went. Yeah, FAU or something like that. You know, if if they're so good, they're not gonna. You know, I don't know. With this thorn, I've heard it too many times. You've got. You've had. All these quarterbacks come in. Uh, who was it? I can't even remember their names. You all, uh, Finley. We got uh, the guy from Texas A&M. And Calzada, stuff like yeah, that. yeah. Calzada and stuff. So it it's kind of like fool me once, shame on me, right? But fool me three times, shame on me. Well, so now everybody's saying it's going to be better. Well, and and it may be. We've talked about this before. Ashford, you know, is. He he's not a throwing quarterback, right? Right. Okay. You need a quarterback to, that can throw, so you're going to be better off with them. But does that bring you two more wins a season? So yeah, I mean it. It's got to be parts of the whole team. What I will say, the difference, in my opinion, is a pretty clear difference in Thorn and and those other SEC guys that transferred in the last couple of years is that Thorne was actually on a good football team playing pretty good football for two years, whereas Calzada and Finley were not their team starters all year long. They were guys that had some starts, but they did not necessarily even win their job to start the year and then just ended up playing at times good but at times bad. Whereas if you look at actual the stats on, on Thorne for the entirety of two years, his stats are pretty solid, and Michigan State did get – to top five in the country briefly with him in, in year one. So I, the, he is well much more established than those two guys were. I got you. And, and why did he leave Michigan State? Yeah, so – Come to Auburn? You know, look, there's there's whispers of some, some tampering going on, oh. some NIL opportunity there. Um Okay. I, I I do think uh, unless I'm I've missed something. I do think he was going to start for them this year. I don't think they had brought anyone okay. else in at that point. Well, I, I, I the thing that I want to jump in here and say they had a wide receiver that also left and committed to uh, 
I forget where he committed, big time wide receiver, and he gave some quotes and he said that uh, being at Michigan State felt like a prison sentence and that things were not oh, good. There. Yeah, he's this is the wide I receiver so. saying that things were not good there. That he felt like he was, it felt like it was like a two year prison sentence. And that he was ready to get yeah. out of there. And so if he's saying that, you gotta think there may be some other players that are very unhappy with Man. whatever is going on there in uh in, in East Lansing. Michigan State pulled a Gus Malzahn, gave every penny they wanted to to Mel Tucker. So they don't have any NIL money. They they're <laughs> they're stuck with him, I'm telling you. But um but no, I just wanted to let Steve know that uh kids are gonna go where they can go to the next level. And I don't know, a, a, a friend of mine's got a daughter who plays uh, high school softball. Like, he, he has spent his whole life for 20, uh, 18 years. Go, I mean, seriously, literally 18 years. Gave her a softball when she was born. And dang, has pitching coaches, hitting coaches, and all that stuff. Trying to get her, and she's the best player in this area. Maybe one of the two. And says she doesn't stand a chance. You know, at Auburn, at Georgia, at any SEC program, there are that many kids playing ball, right? So if if he says, yeah, if she gets an offer to Auburn, she's going, right? You know, heck yeah. Or anywhere she can get one. So if somebody offers you, the best of the best are going to go to Oklahoma right now. They've won three in a row, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd be, you'd be crazy. You know, if you want to go play pro football, you know, you want to go to the people that have the most players drafted. Steve's a numbers guy. He ought to understand that. And I, I, it just kind of, it's kind of, uh, it, it, but I know why. His glasses are just too blue and orange. I understand. Well, but, one, of, <laughs> one of the big things, you see this You see this more in the women's athletics, that there's usually that one team that at whatever certain point, because it is very cyclical with right. these teams, right now in softball, Oklahoma is it. You go back and you look at basketball for years and years and years. If you were the best female basketball player, well, you went to Tennessee, and then after that, then you went to UConn, and right now it's South Carolina and Dawn Staley. Um, You you can see that in gymnastics. There's been some cyclical things. Right now, Oklahoma is the gymnastics place. That's where you go. It used to be Alabama. Um, At one time back before that, it was Georgia all the time. So. Yeah, you see that you don't see you see more of the parity in the men's sports across the board. Um, there's usually not just that one team that just flat dominates everything in the women's sports. That it, it for whatever reason, from years to years, there, there's that one team that is just it, and and it just kind of floats around. You know, before before Patty Gasso took over there at Oklahoma, Alabama was it, and then you you had uh, Arizona and Arizona State. Before that, you had UCLA. So. Uh, it's just what right. it is. Right now, Oklahoma is yeah. it, and when it comes to softball, yeah, it, it, exactly. And I it, it, that that's just what tickles me about every time Steve says, "Well, I wonder why they won't come here. What are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong?" And like like you say, what UNLV? You know, nobody even knows where that is, right? Yeah. <laughs> you right. know, but they were great in basketball for a period of time. So in Georgia Tech, everybody so. All right, guys, I'm going to let you get to it. I know you got an interview coming up. I appreciate you all taking my call, and uh, I'll talk to you later on during the week. Absolutely, Jeff. We appreciate your phone call. That is Jeff from Columbus on our Auburn Bank phone line. We do need to take our next time out of the show, and that's because on the other side of this break, we will have 
Current NASCAR Cup Series driver Ryan Priest with us on the show. Stay tuned. That is next. to call into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm i'm jeff whitaker jr former auburn tigers defensive tackle and national champion and you are listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 Welcome back to Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy and Brooks Childress with you here, and we're pleased to be joined now on our Auburn Bank phone line by Ryan Priest, the driver of the number 41 Ford Mustang for Stuart Haas Racing. Ryan, the time is greatly appreciated today. How are things in your world? Yep, it's going great. Uh, definitely excited and eager to, to get down to Nashville this weekend. It's a place where I've had a lot of success, so hopefully we can get a third guitar and, and have some some fast forward Mustangs. We're about at the halfway point of the season, and, and of course, this is your first year at Stuart Haas Racing full time. So, uh, how have things been with the new team, and what all have you learned here through the first half of the season? Yeah, so we've we've definitely had some ups, and and we've had some downs. Uh, March and April were were some rough months. Uh, just some things just couldn't go our way, but we we've gotten a pull and. We've led laps and, and almost won some race or won a race. So uh, you got to take you got to take some of those goods. And uh, you know, the last three to four weeks, we've we've trended in the right direction and and uh, going to going to one of my favorite tracks this weekend. So um, I felt like it was a good warm up, and we have ten races uh, to race our way into the playoffs. We're only about sixty points out, which in all reality isn't isn't a whole lot. And and I feel like. Uh, you know, we can do it. We definitely have the team. We have the right people. We have great sponsors like United Rentals and Morton Buildings, Haas Tooling, uh, Hunt Brothers Pizza. So a lot of great things over here on the 41 team. Um, we just got to put it all together. And Ryan, we'll definitely have a, a question for you about your approach to the, the next few races as we get close to playoff time. But I want to go back to uh, your, your start in racing because we see a lot of guys – uh, in, in NASCAR come from a certain footprint and you're from the state of Connecticut I know that's where Joey Logano is from and, and I'll admit even though I'm a I'm a big NASCAR guy I don't know what the racing looks like in Connecticut so growing up for you what what was the racing like in Connecticut and what made you fall in love with the sport yeah so you're missing out man it's so raw and pure and and uh you know growing up in Connecticut we had three local tracks within 35 minutes of where I live so I spent a lot of uh, a lot of Thursday nights, Friday nights, and and Saturday nights uh, running between uh, Thompson Motor Speedway, uh, Safford Speedway in in Safford, Connecticut, and then in Long Island, New York, there was a track called Riverhead Raceway. So I raced there weekly, uh, but as well as running the Wheel and Modified Tour, which is a, a 
open wheel, 2,600-pound, 15-inch wide tire, you know, 700-horsepower race car uh, up and down the East Coast. So I, uh, I primarily stayed on the East Coast. But it's uh, I loved the racing up there. We had a lot of a lot of legends or or um, you know local heroes for sure, like Ted Christopher, uh, Mike Stefanik, Richie Evans, all all guys that came up from that way. Ryan, you're coming off of something that doesn't happen a lot in the NASCAR schedule, and and that's a bye week. What 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 does that look like? What does an off week look like uh, for for NASCAR for a Cup Series racing team? Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't really, really, uh, go on vacation or anything for me. It was my wife and I stayed home. We have, we have some horses and a donkey and a mini horse. So just taking care of the farm and, and also, uh, working on my, my own personal modified, um, I just like to work in the race shop. So whether it's, whether it's working on modifieds or, or on street cars or even bouncing back and forth here at the race shop, uh, there's always something to do. And then, Ryan, you talked about how much success you've had at Nashville in recent history. What makes what is it about that track that you think you it gives you such an upper hand to, to be able to go out there and, and capture so many trophies? Yeah, so to me, it's just an interesting track. It's uh, it's a mile and a half that to me drives like a short track. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do when you have to get off the brake or off the gas and use the brake pedal and make the car turn and do all those things. Uh, as a driver, you can you can just sometimes you you have the ability to to change the outcome of how your car may be handling. So um, yeah, some of those things, and also it's concrete, so it, it, it tends to be temperature sensitive. And Ryan, with uh, with the return to Nashville, I guess this is the third straight year back at Nashville. I know this is a place that was closed for a little while, and of course we're not too far removed from the all-star way, uh, race at North Wilkesboro where obviously that was closed a lot longer. But what do you think of uh, a decision of NASCAR to go back to in its roots to some sense? I, I know that Nashville was not a part of the cup schedule uh, when it was operating in the early 2000s, but uh, we, we've seen some revitalization of some of these tracks, and, and, and Nashville also one of them. Yeah, I just think there's, you know, people want, there's a want for your North Wilkesboro's, for your Nashville's, for for some of these tracks uh, that we haven't gone to in a long time, and and just doing it that once, once, one time a year, and and the promotion that goes behind it, and the excitement that can be brought from it, um, you know, I definitely see it when I when I come down to Nashville and your fans, and and there's a lot of race fans down there as well as North Wilkesboro. I mean, I didn't even realize because I grew up in Connecticut how how much people missed that place and and the energy that it brought and it was just it was neat to see so hopefully uh hopefully there's some other racetracks we can bring back and and kind of head in that direction and i know it's such a fascinating decision process because you have a limit obviously it's a long season it's the 36 race season but that number's not going to change and so there's all these tracks wanting these dates and some places used to have two dates now have one and that sort of thing and i know that there's a lot of different decisions that go into it what kind of input do you as a driver and some of the other drivers have in NASCAR trying to, to go to certain places or uh, is that, uh, you know, something that, that falls on deaf ears at the end of the day? Like what, uh, what, uh, what kind of input do the drivers have in, in trying to get NASCAR's ear with, with certain things they'd like to see on the schedule? Um, well, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm good with, 
you know, racing a shopping cart around a, you know, a Walmart or whatever at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if all of us need to do it, but there are certain types of, of venues that I think us drivers want to want to go to and, and, and see on the schedule and a place like North Wilkesboro and those type of racetracks is definitely something that we all tend to tend to agree on wanting to do. So hopefully, you know, for me, I feel like if we can go to more tracks like that, it would be, it would be a win for the fans and a win for the teams. And then along those lines, I know the schedule has kind of been altered a lot the last few years. It feels like the last few years there's been more changes than maybe the previous 10 or 15 years uh, in NASCAR trying a lot of different things, including the Chicago Street Race coming up in a couple of weeks. How how different, how exciting is that going to be? I know you ran well in a road course uh, the other week at Sonoma. So, so what's that street race going to be like? Yeah, it's exciting. Um you know, for me, I've never been a part of a street race. I don't really know <laughs> what to expect, but what I will say is it's exciting to see the, the effort that's going into it and, and even the course. So it's something that, that I feel like I'm very open to and and, <clears throat> and eager to, to be a part of. And, um, you know, as far as expectations, I don't – I think the big thing for us as drivers is, is trying not to be involved in, in any of the uh, – hit any of the barrier barriers uh or or be involved in some of the stack up at least there's practice back now because I, I know you guys were having to go out the track for a year or two there without any any practice and uh, i can't imagine how how difficult that was but uh ryan as you look towards these next 10 races and we get towards playoff time i know I mentioned I think it's like a, a 60 point gap between you and the cutoff right now. Uh, what is the strategy for you and the team going forward? Is it a, a win at all costs, or is it a, a methodical get some stage points here and there and try to work back in that way? What what kind of strategy do you think it'll be the next 10 races? Yeah, so for us, it's it's uh, you know if those if those opportunities present themselves to where we can win. I think we have to go for it if we have to speed those days and, and do whatever it takes to win. But on the days where we're not able to, we just we need we need those base hits. We need those uh, get stage points and and top tens and and top fifteens and just try to maximize your days that way because it's been working the past you know you know four to four to five weeks and and uh, you know consistency is a, a good foundation. And, uh, you know, obviously we want to turn those 13th, 15th place days where they're good days into, into mediocre days. Talking to Ryan Priest today on Sports Call. A few more for you, Ryan. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the car itself because obviously it's a huge deal whenever uh, there's a new generation of car, and that began last year. Of course, that was a year where you were doing kind of all the series a little bit. So how much of a learning curve is this new car compared to what was run before? And, and just talk about some of the ways in which it's, it's mainly different. Yeah, so there's a lot, a lot of different things about this car. Uh, one being independent rear suspension, um, the wider tire, uh, the aerodynamic side of it, and, and how you cannot run the car sealed off to the ground. Uh, the, the list really goes on and how you have to go about this car. But from a driver's point of view, I like it. I, I enjoy how it tends to be on the looser, what we call looser side, um, for some of us. And, and, uh, I like that trend because man, I hate a tight race car. 
Yeah, it's been it's been fascinating to watch just uh, how different racetracks have, have raced differently with the new car. I've noticed certainly with the dynamic of, of losing the air, it's been very tough to pass at some of these tracks. Have you have you emphasized qualifying more than in the past because passing has been a little bit more difficult with this car? Man, you've been looking at our notes because that's exactly <laughs> what we're focusing on uh, moving forward. I felt like we've we've done a, a good good job over the past four weeks of, of finding that foundation that baseline feel during the race but we we for some reason we struggle for qualifying trying to trying to get that raw speed so i know we've we definitely put an emphasis in in trying to qualify better uh even if that's 15, 10th to 15th right now uh that's about 10 to 15 spots better than than where we've been and uh that'll make that climb uh, that climb forward a lot easier uh, because, you know, usually about halfway, halfway through the race or so, or three quarters of the way or so, we're usually around that 16th to 13th. And if we started there and, and did the same climb, it'd be a lot easier. I'm going to finish with a incredibly generic question that we ask anytime uh, we're talking to a driver for the first time. Again, you probably get this question more than anything, uh, but uh, still got to know though, Ryan, What's your favorite track on the schedule? What's your least favorite track? And it is it is it purely based on results, or is there just a certain way that a track runs or a certain style of track that, that you prefer over another? So, that's funny. Um, my favorite track is New Hampshire because I grew up there. Uh, it has nothing to do with results. It has everything to do with, with my childhood and, and going there and you know, being a kid and being a fan of, of racing. Uh, but my other favorite track from performance has always been Martinsville. It's a place that, that I've always seemed to enjoy. Um, but then as far as a track that I don't like, I don't have one. Because I feel like if, if you have a bad attitude or a place that you don't necessarily like going into it, you're probably not going to run well or ever get better there. So uh, I don't have one that I do not like. I just have ones that I feel like we need to continue to try and be better at. That's a, that's an awesome approach. We we've definitely heard and look in the aggregate. We we've not obviously not interviewed every driver, but those that we have and, and certainly ones we we hear on TV. There's a lot of Richmond, and then there's a lot of uh, a lot of restrictor plate racing. So, but uh, love that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> love that attitude from you, Ryan. Uh, we're talking to Ryan Priest today, driver of the number forty one Ford Mustang for Stuart Haas Racing. Ryan, the time has been greatly appreciated today. We wish you well here as you try to make a playoff push, and uh, we hope to talk to you again down the line. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, guys. That is Ryan Priest joining us today on Sports Call. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. Let's get back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Feel free to give us a call at 334-887-3401. 
or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy. As Brooks tries to kill a flying thing in a gnat the studio. Or a, or a fruit fly or something right in front of me. Uh, fair to try to destroy it. Although I don't think you were successful. Anyway, we appreciate Ryan Priest for joining us today on Sports Call. I uh, really appreciate him. Uh, as I uh, had an off week last week, a rare off week, as Brooks mentioned, but getting back at it this weekend, again, crossing over from Fox coverage to the NBC. Not a lot of people were happy with the Fox coverage this year, uh, but we'll see how things go on the NBC side of things. Again, 10 races left of the playoffs, and, of course, 10 races in the playoffs, so fun math, 20 races remaining in the 2023 NASCAR schedule. Wanted to bring up a couple uh, couple things here uh, as we start to wind down the show. This was announced, I think, the end of last week, but the 2024 Field of Dreams game. We talked a little Braves baseball earlier. This does not revolve around the Braves, but in Major League Baseball, 2024 Field of Dreams game is going to be played at Rickwood Field in Birmingham. That's right, a Major League Baseball game coming to the state of Alabama in 2024 at the historic Rickwood Field. It's going to be what the San Francisco Giants, St. Louis Cardinals. And I'm very excited about this. Before I knew where it was going, if you just stop the headline at, it's not going to be in Iowa anymore. It's not going to actually be at the 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 Field of Dreams site. I've been, man, doesn't feel like a Field of Dreams game then. But, man, this is... This is the best thing they could have done if it was not Iowa. Well, the thing is, you said historic. It is the The, oldest professional baseball park in the United States. A lot of people don't realize that. The oldest baseball park in the United States currently sits in Birmingham. A hop, skip, and a jump from the old gray lady Legion Field. Rickwood Field. And boy, do you want to jump away from the old gray lady. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Rickwood Field right there in Birmingham, uh, uh, built for the Birmingham Barons in 1910. And I think the Barons, the Barons still play one game or one series so, there a year, so the, right? The, well, so I saw well, the, uh, the uh, Birmingham Barons and the Montgomery Biscuits are going to be playing each other in Rickwood. Um, I think it's just a one game. I don't think it's a series, but I know that I saw just either earlier today or yesterday that the Barons versus the Biscuits would be in Rickwood. And I know I know the Bananas, the Savannah Bananas, you know, they, they do their touring baseball. They were right. there last year. I believe they played a, a couple games at Rickwood Field yeah. last year. I thought the Barons played a, <laughs> at least one game or one series there a year to, you know, kind of keep keep the tradition going of playing baseball there. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure, honestly. But, uh, again, nevertheless, this is a, a very cool thing. Um, I don't know of how, obviously this is the, the oldest ballpark is, as Tom said. So it's not like this is, um, easily repeatable in, in this, this aspect of it in terms of the history, but that's very exciting. Um, you know, that, that's something that would interest me in going, even yeah. though I don't really 
have a feeling one way or the other about the Cardinals or the Giants. Like, I appreciate that opportunity to have a professional sport play a game in the state of Alabama. I mean, again, that is not – I can get into this whole spiel about how that's why college sports are so big and, and yada, 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 uh, how important Alabama and Auburn are because there is not a professional team other than just the minor league baseball teams. Uh, there is, you know, the NASCAR track, Talladega Super Speedway. There is Barber Motorsports Park for for IndyCar, but there's not a team professional deal in in the highest level of the sport here um, in the state of Alabama. So I'm I'm personally very excited about that. Does anyone even know? As I start to peruse, like how likely this is to go, does anyone know even what's going to seat? What the capacity is going to be? I think it's the Rickwood. I think seats seven thousand. Okay. So about a typical minor league park, maybe a little, uh, it's a little bit smaller. Little it's going to be a little smaller than your typical minor league park, and I would imagine also for TV they're going to probably add. A few add they'll add some bleachers stuff. to it, and they may have to update the lighting, bring in some like portable lighting. I don't know how good the lighting is currently at Rickwood, but if they're going to broadcast national television, I have a feeling they're probably going to have to do some things. They have it. a few needs, yeah. yeah. But nevertheless, that is very exciting for sure. Uh, so. If that was to go somewhere, uh, ten thousand eight hundred is the. Okay, I thought I saw seven thousand somewhere. Oh. Uh, but I, 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 I look, agree with you. You're I, you're looking at. A, I'm just looking look at, at Wikipedia. At I agree Wikipedia. with you. Maybe ten thousand eight hundred is what they plan on having it be Maybe. for special. It just I, I mean it just says capacity. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, that is some some cool news uh, for sure. And uh, obviously, you know, there are, again, a lot of minor league stuff just below major tier. Even there was news with uh, Birmingham Legion today, uh, the soccer club, that Dominic Wilkins is now a part of the ownership group, that uh, he gave a, 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 uh, a shirt to Stephen A. Smith, which was cool. It's like, that's cool for Birmingham Legion, but... Again, nothing quite like this, so that will be very exciting to take in. Another topic I want to bring up, which is not sports-related, uh, as we have just a few minutes left in the show, is something that was on uh, Best and Worst of the weekend yesterday, and it was Tom's Worst. I wanted to spend a moment on it because I'm still fascinated by how this has happened. This deal where with the submarine getting kind of, getting lost – in the right. depths of the ocean near the Titanic wreckage. The, again, this is not sports. I get it. I'm sorry. Only a few minutes left. Um, I don't understand the many some of the levels to this. There was apparently it's controlled by like a video game controller. Did you see that? Mm-mm. Yeah, it's controlled by like a, a look, PlayStation looking controller from within the sub or from up top on the ship. It looked like from up top. Oh wow. And then there is a it, – it's a whole thing where they showed the inside of it, and it's so tight cramped in there. Qu- very cramped quarters. Which, I mean, I, I don't know what I expected out of a submarine. It is underneath the ocean. It's a long, thin ship, but still – Well, but that that's that. But these types of submersibles, and I think I said it on yesterday's show, it's like the size of an average pickup truck. So, okay, so much smaller than this. Case. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is not like a giant Navy submarine. This is a very tiny size of a truck that they squeeze five people into to go down there. Uh, and squeeze is the operative term there. Again. The, the picture that I saw from inside of that with everybody, you're literally sitting hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder. Like, 
I mean, there. I'm not going to. Obviously, we're taking the worst instance of this and then judging it and be like, oh man, it's clearly not worth it. Well, you know, it like there is a cool element to it. You're going incredibly deep into the ocean. Yeah, you're going to see the Titanic wreckage that, right. that for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars ahead. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> that part's not cool, but it's cool to have that much to blow. But anyway. The other element, too, is what was that, that the Navy doesn't have something capable of getting that low? Uh, from what I read is the, the Coast Guard actually has something okay. that they can retrieve it with, but they don't know if they can. Someone does not have, someone doesn't have it right. that can get, get that deep into the ocean. Yeah, uh, apparently the Coast Guard has something, but they don't know if they can get it deployed there in time enough. Good grief. I just, I don't know. I, I'm at, I'm at kind of a loss for, if the, I, it's a terrible circumstance. Also, it's so public too because it's so such a fascinating story. Right. Story like here we are talking about the public. Like those families have got to be nauseated, nauseated, just yeah. just absolutely nauseous. And um, it's if if they can somehow survive because what they've got two more days of oxygen. That the deal. Wednesday, sometime on Wednesday or Thursday, they're going to run out. If they somehow survive. It's going to be in the box office by 2026. They're going to immediately turn around once the writer strike ends yeah. and write about this because this is insane. This, this is this sounds like a movie, a, a horror movie right now. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I, I'm reading a quote here uh, for a story from you know about an hour ago. Uh, it said uh, an unnamed operations officer. Uh, uh, a, an unnamed operation offers the best. Um, goodness, I can't read. I believe in you, though. An unmanned operation offers the best hope, but limited hope, the experts say. Uh, and this is, quote, a drone could find the vehicle, but they would not be able to recover people. There should be a way to attach a line. They could potentially recover the vehicle that way, said submersibles engineer Steve Somlody, who is based in Florida. Uh, the lack of communication or sound since Sunday is deeply concerning. So let me be dumb for a second then. Th- there are parts of the ocean floor that are even deeper than that, correct? Yes. Like the Marianas Trench and things but like that. But they don't exist there. Like there's no way they just like in, in that kind of mile or two sphere, like there's no way they could fall deeper than where the Titanic is, right? Like Titan- Titanic's rock bottom for that part of the ocean. Right. Okay. 12,500 feet. So, in other words, because I'm thinking ultra horror movie where it's like, oh, they just like found a crevice and went even deeper into the ocean without. But see, and I don't think there's anything like that around okay. the Titanic. It's just that the depths that the Titanic sunk in where they're at is uh-huh. that deep. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it was incredibly That's, deep. Yeah. Ex- well, yeah, the, it's well, over two miles. Over two miles below the surface of the ocean. Um, and so. You know, that's there's only been a few people that have even been in a submersible that have gotten actually down there to actually see it. Um, that's very, very rare. That's also why it costs two hundred eighty thousand dollars to hop on that little thing and get down there. Um, it's not something that your every average day craft can get to because the depths, those types of depth, the pressure down there is, is so yeah. incredible that you have to be in a specialized piece of equipment just to get down there to it and uh uh you know it, it's uh, the outlook is not very good on that at all yeah and, man uh, i brooks looks depressed over here like he's yeah. just 
it's i i mean the the deal is i again i've seen way too many horror movies and there's still too many horror movies that exist at the bottom of an ocean it's also like so like you were saying with they it would have to be an unmanned operation so it's like you can't even transfer right. them into a vessel that could get them back to the surface right. it would simply be something to try and drag yeah. their submarine so, up again I, I from the same story uh, the, this submarine is called the ocean gate uh, the ocean gate is far too deep for any traditional submarine to travel so a navy submarine if one was used could only listen for sounds from the vehicle uh, drones offer the only realistic opportunity to reach the ocean gate and possibly rescue its passengers experts indicated so it's so deep that your normal Navy submarines can't even get down there. To That's it. what I was kind of alluding to a minute ago uh, yeah. that I had heard. Man, see, uh, <laughs> again, if I'm ever blessed to have some sort of generational wealth, then I'm just not doing things that can go wrong like that. Well, I apparently am. there's two billionaires on board. Um, that uh, one of the, There's a Pakistani billionaire and his son that are on board. Mm-hmm. There's another billionaire that they talked about, and uh, I'm buying a sports franchise. And then apparently right? that company's the company's CEO is also on board. Oh no! Yikes! Yeah, no, I'm just I'm buying into a franchise, even if it's a one percent share. It's what what I'm doing with my with my generational wealth. Oh man, that that is a unbelievable story. Wanted to mention it because it's it's catching everyone's attention because it's so again. Not, I'm going to play dumb here for a second. If you can't, if the Navy can't even necessarily get down there, it's not like this is a thing that happens every day. It's not. A, this is not an expedition that just. It's like, oh yeah, this is. This is just a stars aligning, and this is. This happens every day. Nope, this is incredibly rare, incredibly unfortunate, and uh, I think will deter travel down to the Titanic for a while. Uh, that is, it may, yeah. I mean that that thing. I, we would feel confident. Well, it, again, the oh, the 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 prognosis, if anything at all goes mildly wrong, is just so bad. It, it there's just not. It's, it's there's no coming back from that. You're you look at the you know risk risk ad- adverse deals where okay, there's certain things in life. That if they go poorly, uh, it hurts or some sort of pain or I don't know, just uncomfortable. It's weird. It's awkward. But something like that goes wrong. Nope. That's that's life ending. That's that's life altering. So uh, incredible story there. Just fascinated me. Wanted to talk a few minutes about it. Just a couple minutes left in the show for today on this Tuesday. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Almost like a wacky Wednesday. It's like I'm almost tempted to just start doing like a weird story segment at the end of each show throughout the summer. It's like, hey, here's this strange but true phenomenon. We're going to kind of have something like that tomorrow with Wacky Wednesday, but... For now, Brooks, let's uh, let's do the nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Yeah, uh, there's not a lot of sports on tonight, so we're going to give you some movie picks for you. And it, we're, you know, some of these you want to sit the family down, watch a family flick tonight. Here's some picks for you: Six o'clock on Nickelodeon, Hotel Transylvania, Adam Sandler and all his best friends, uh, voice characters in a animated uh, film. So there's there's your uh, there's your synopsis of that. 
uh, Despicable Me at 6.56 p.m. tonight. Right on the dot on Sci-Fi if you want to check out that. Yeah, right on that dot. 7 o'clock on FX, Captain America, the first Avenger. One of my favorite uh, Marvel movies. Check that out. And then at 7.30 on AMC, it's Back to the Future Part 2. If you are into the Back to the Future franchise, check that out. That's, that's when uh, Biff gets the... Uh, Sports Almanac. Sports Almanac, which yeah. is kind of like my... My uh, my dream. Yeah, that's that's how I would do it. Good for Biff, although Biff's a terrible person. Yeah, but to say you wouldn't turn out like Biff, would you? No, I hope uh, not. Mm. You keep me keep me grounded, bro. Keep to. me grounded. Uh, we'll start out in the sports world now. This evening, college baseball coming to you at six o'clock on ESPN. LSU takes on Tennessee in an elimination game, the College World Series. And then, later on tonight, some more baseball action for you on TBS. The late night, late night action, nine o'clock. It is the Los Angeles Dodgers making the long, arduous trip down the interstate to Anaheim to take on the Los Angeles Angels. Hey, don't joke. It might take an hour and a half to get 10 miles. And so that is your late night. Obviously, the Braves are playing the early game on TBS. Started just a couple minutes ago. Also on Bally Sports South, if you can't get it on TBS, as they take on the Philadelphia Phillies. Spencer Strider on the mound in that one. That's a look at your night TV guide brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. Thank you for being on the show today. We'll see you again later in the week. See you then. And Mr. Tom Peavy, thank you for being on the show. And we look forward to your Wacky Wednesday tomorrow. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. And that will do it for the show today. Again, we want to thank Matt Greeky, the uh, general manager of National Super Speedway, as well as Ryan Priest, driver of the number 41 for Stuart Haas Racing, for joining the show today. And as always, we want to thank all those that tune in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan the Boy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.